This is Lee Cronin, the director and co-writer of The Hole in the Ground. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a bi-weekly show that's released every other Monday, and this is episode 170, our St. Patrick's Day episode, Blood Runs Green, and your luck has just run out because we're covering Leprechaun 1993 and Leprechaun Returns 2018 with a special segment from Matroid and Station from the Sci-Fi Podcast with their review of Leprechaun 4, Leprechaun in Space. We also have listener feedback from Sal Roma and Carmen the Vampire Slayer and so much more. So hold on to your lucky harms as we choke down this gore leaf clover. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons. You can become a patron for as little as $2.50 a month at patreon.com slash moviepodcastnetwork. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. I'm your host, Gilman Joel, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. Help, help, it's happening. The attack is on. Send help. The Leprechaun is attacking. Army, Navy, guns, Marines. We're going to need some medicine. (laughs) I I don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) We're here, guys. We are representing St. Patrick's Day Horror, a woefully underrepresented horror niche. Would you agree on that point? I think so, because of the way we are honoring it. I think that's one of the reasons why it does not get the uh, respect it deserves. Hmm. I feel like that may have been somewhat of a loaded statement, Dave. Well, possibly. <laughs> we'll wait till we get into it. We'll okay, wait we'll, we wait, we'll wait. Uh, Dave took it upon himself to watch more than was required for this homework assignment, which was surprising to me because Dave had seemed to be the most resistant to doing this episode in the first place. Um, But I got a text at 4 a.m., which means it was 6 a.m. Dave's time, that said, time to launch myself into the land of evil leprechauns. If I don't make it out, please know that I'll be haunting you both for eternity at 6 a.m. So (laughs) leprechaun is is the best part of waking up there, Dave. Yeah, I I guess so. I guess it is. Yeah, it was my decision to do this. You know, Lent has just started, and and the, the it's big time um, in the in the Catholic faith is Lent, and I can't remember the last time I gave up anything for Lent, which is one of the ideas of Lent. You give something up for it. Well, my mother was sort of giving and me like a, a sacrifice as a token yeah. sacrifice. A, a token sacrifice is is what it is. Giving up something for Lent, you give something up for for forty days. Um, and I haven't done it for the longest time. I mean, it, even when we were kids, me and my brother worked at a fast food place. You're supposed to give up meat on Fridays uh, for Lent. 
I just remember my brother like two fisting for these these chicken fillets, eating them, going, "Hey, it's Lent, and I'm eating meat. I'm going to hell." <laughs> uh, but my mother had strongly urged me to get back into the Lent. She's she's you know very much a very religious person, and she was urging me to get back into the faith because in my mother's world, and this is a lot the way it is for a lot of people of of faith who have been with it through you know throughout their lives, that if you don't Adhere to the Catholic doctrine, the flames of hell will be licking your ass at some point in the near future. <laughs> Which, depending on what you're into, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Well, uh, some people might enjoy that. It didn't, it didn't appeal to me. Is there kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, didn't, it didn't appeal to me. I got to be honest with you. So I'm thinking, I don't really want to give anything up. I know what I'll do. I'll sacrifice my time and I will watch four leprechaun movies. That's what wow. I said. We'll watch, I'll watch <laughs> the first four leprechaun movies. I'm not telling my mother this. She wouldn't be pleased. I'm just going to tell her I did I did give something up for Lent. All right? I'm not going to get into specifics, but I gave something up for Lent. Your good taste. Exactly. I, I, gave, up, I gave up some of my time and maybe a little bit of, of my sanity, and I was going to watch the first floor, four Leprechaun movies. Mm-hmm. Well, I made it 10 minutes into the fourth one, and I bowed. I said, that's, that's it. I said, God in his heaven will be thrilled that I watched the first three. He's not going to make He doesn't want me to watch this fourth one. So that, that's where it ended. I got 10 minutes in. I said, yeah, I'm done. So that's as far as I got in the fourth one. I, I love that Leprechaun made it to where, because you said Lent lasts 40 days. Yes. You didn't last, what, four hours? <laughs> no, I couldn't. I didn't make it four hours. Yeah, okay. I didn't make it four hours. I made it about, well, three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. Oh, no, not really. I guess three, because technically I had to watch the, I was going to watch the first one anyway. Yes. It felt like 40 days. You know, it, 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 it honestly did. <laughs> but I did get through the second movie and the third movie, so I will be able to comment on those. And that has been my Lenten sacrifice for this year. And I, I I don't mean to make light of it for people who do take it very seriously. I just, it's, I grew up with it and it's not something that I continue with. When you start to look into the history of Lent and, and, and some of what transpired in the middle ages with it and everything, and I'm not going to get into that because I'm not out to you know, rain on anybody's parade. It's just me personally that I don't really adhere to it anymore. Um, but uh, to make my mother happy, I figured this is what I would do, and she'll just be happy knowing I did something without getting too specific about it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, Thank Dave. You. Yes. The Thank things you. you do for your mother I'm, and for I'm the a listeners giver. of Horror Movie Podcast. I'm, I'm a giver. What can I yeah. say? And I'm sure there are folks listening right now who are fans of one, if not both, of the movies that we're going to focus on. We may talk about some others as well, but uh, the, the two feature review films... And I will, I will tell you now, you're thinking this show is going to go one way as far as however it's going to feel. You might be pleasantly surprised or as the case is for most of the people listening, will be horrified. <laughs> right. All right. Let's move now into our feature review of Leprechaun from 1993. The Luck of the Irish is being packed and shipped to a little town in South Dakota whose luck may have just run out. Ah! My ear! He he got my ear! You got the back door, right? 
1993 film is written and directed by Mark Jones. It stars Warwick Davis as the titular leprechaun, as well as Jennifer Aniston, a young Jennifer Aniston, but just on the precipice of breaking Jennifer Aniston. This is the year before Friends. Uh, Ken Olent, Mark Holton. I believe this was Aniston's first feature. She was uncredited as a dancer in McDonald's in the movie Mac and Me. But other than that, she had done TV, a couple TV movies, a couple TV series. And to think she went from Mac and Me to Leprechaun, and within nine years of this film, she would become one of the highest paid actresses in the history of television. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, those actors were making a million dollars per episode by the end of Friends, the last two yep. seasons of Friends. Yeah. And they currently make from reruns and from sales to Netflix twenty million dollars a year from friends. It's tough work Oof. if you can get it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty insane. Yeah. Um this movie is about Jennifer Aniston and her father moving to the countryside in North Dakota, which she initially mistakes for New Mexico, although I'm not sure how. She could with the landscape, although it doesn't quite look like North Dakota either, I guess. if <laughs> It looks as, like Southern California where they shot the movie. Yeah, as long as we're being honest. Um, I believe this was shot in Santa Clarita, actually. Um, yeah, this is a really weird film. Jennifer Anderson's doing her best Green Acres kind of impression. She's the city girl who is out of place in the countryside until she meets this hunky guy who kind of convinces her to roll with it a little bit. The dialogue in her first scene at the house sounds alien. And I know this is a cliche, but it legitimately sounds like the dialogue was written in a foreign language and then translated into English. They don't sound like native English speakers. It's bizarre. Her first scene until she meets Nathan, who is a, a contractor working on the house. He's part of a company called Three Guys That Paint. Hey, it says right there on the truck. Two actual guys and a kid. Yeah. Well, and they treat Ozzy, one of the guys, as a kid. They even refer to them as like, oh, they're just a couple of kids at one point, whereas yeah. Ozzy is the, the oldest of the three of them, I get the feeling. It almost gives you the impression that maybe in the original, one of the earlier versions, the earlier drafts, maybe Ozzy was a kid. They don't want the lead uh, heartthrob there to, to look like he's taking advantage of child labor. So they figured, okay, well, we yeah. got to make one of these guys an adult. Yeah, sure. I guess so. So you have this introduction to Nathan, who was played by Ken Olent, and uh, he's, he's playfully misogynist, dreamboat. He, he's dressed exactly like Kevin Bacon from Tremors. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Oh, my God. Now that you say yes, that, that's hilarious. Absolutely. Tremors was a big hit just a couple of years earlier. He has the exact same hair the same wife beater, the same colored button-up shirt underneath, and then he's wearing a very similar Levi jacket as well. So I don't think it could have been a coincidence. (laughs) He's trying to channel Kevin Bacon there, I'm pretty sure. You guys recognize Ken Olin, though, right? 
Did you recognize oh, him? Of course. Yeah. 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 April Fool's mm-hmm. Day. And, and he was in another movie, which is fun because if you don't mind me just interjecting this real quick, uh, it connects a little bit to our last episode where I talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre there. I said, you know, I had, had this whole image in my head of how horrific it was. Well, it was because of a movie that uh, Ken Olent was in. And it wasn't until I saw a leprechaun for this episode that I remembered he was in summer school. Do you remember summer school? Yes, that's where I remember him from. Summer school. Yes. With Mark Harmon. One of those. Yes. One of those comedies that. I loved when it was on cable. I don't know. I haven't revisited it in a lot of years. It actually it holds up better than you think it would. Really? Okay. Well, that's good to know. It's an 80s comedy for sure. But what's fun about that movie, and I'm sure you guys might recall, you had the two horror fans. I and mean, one was Chainsaw. And I can't remember what the other kid's mm-hmm. name was. And they mm-hmm. were huge horror fans. And they wanted to show their Texas Chainsaw Massacre was their favorite movie. And they ended up showing it in class. And they showed a couple right. scenes from the movie within the movie and yes. and that was my and at the time i didn't really know what it was and it and it freaked me the hell out like i was totally i was like what and then I, as soon as i saw it then they show you see leatherface and he's throwing around the, and i remembered that video box for me and a little and i so i it, it, it cemented for me oh yeah chainsaw massacre has got to be the most demented movie ever because yeah. in the in the in summer school they're even talking it up as if it's so gory and and disturbing right, right, so right. How yeah disturbing not is. to digress yep. into summer school conversation however uh that was always a uh, a sort of weirdly horror adjacent memory I have yes. of uh, Mr. Oland. I think, I think my favorite line in summer school is the kid in the the kid who was in the bathroom all summer got a ninety three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I love summer school. I actually just revisited that this last year, yeah. and I thought it was a lot of fun. That and um, one crazy summer. Yes, They're the, yeah, John like, Cusack. Yep, yep. Comedies that have these summer. horror freak yes. side characters. Yes, they yeah. do. Yep. So much fun. Yes, it is. So Ozzy, who we've referred to as like the character who they call a child quite a bit during the film is, you know, this man child uh, played by Mark Holton, who is Chubbs from Teen Wolf is where I I know him best from. He's also, of course, in Kiwi's Big Adventure. Um, And the leprechaun actually refers to him as Tubby in this film. And at first I was not sure if he was supposed to be like intellectually disabled or what it was. They refer to him as a child throughout the film. There's the one line when they're at uh, the restaurant waiting for them at the diner. And I wrote it down because it struck me as so weird at the time. They said, they're kids. They probably stopped off to buy Ozzy a comic. Like Ozzy's the one they're stopped off to buy a comic book. The, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and then you realize later on that he is, I think supposed to be, intellectually disabled because Alex not to give anything away says that the reason he wanted the gold was to fix Ozzy's brain, you know? And so uh, clearly Ozzy has, has some mental issues there, but yeah, it's really weird. And and the other really weird thing is that it, it turns out I looked up their ages and Mark Holton and Ken Olent, they're the exact same age in real life. And so Ken Oland looks like he's like 23 <laughs> and Mark yeah. Holton looks like he's about 40 and they're right, both 35 at the time of this film. So, and also our buddy Mark Holton was in Rumpelstiltskin, which I believe same director was the same director. And he was, yeah. didn't he also play John Wayne Gacy in one of those? That's right. Yeah. He was Gacy. Yeah. There, there was a couple of movies that came around that same time. It was like, there's a couple Bundy movies and, and yeah, it was yeah, just Gacy, 2003, like right in that that window there. I remember there was several that came out all in that time frame. Yeah. And of course, the young boy, Alex, Joel, we have to mention he's Walter from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's yes. Dead. The dishes are <laughs> done, man. I said that last night. 
So Jennifer Aniston moves to the countryside. She meets these three guys who are home contractors. Her father's injured, goes to the hospital, and then the leprechaun is released from bondage and starts to run roughshod over them as he is in pursuit of his missing treasure. So that's the basic plot of the film. Mm -hmm. And it's decent. I like, it's not terrible. I think it's like a fun film. And I just, I did see a quote from Warwick Davis where he was saying when the film was created, it was actually intended to be a kid's horror film. And then when the studio got a hold of it, they thought, well, you know, we could add some gore to this and, you know, and bring it up to an R rating, which they did. And they went back and I guess did like a week of reshoots and got some gore shots and added some F words. Uh, but really, I think that's the wrong move because I do think it feels like a kid's film. Because when I was watching it before I knew that information, I just felt like, who is this for? Like, I felt like if I had been, you know, 11 years old and not supposed to be watching this, I would have really loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, you know, but like as an adult watching, I just think uh, is really inaccessible to me. And it's, a, very, it's very cartoonish too. I've said it yes. before. The, the the running through the the fence and the perfect outline of his body, very you know, sort of wily e. coyote um, riding around in that little car, and the cop pulls him over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, come to think of it, that scene with the cop in the woods felt tacked on. Yeah, that was a reshoot, yeah. Yeah, it definitely felt tacked on because it didn't make a lot of sense. So what does it mean then, guys, if you're a 17-year-old who goes to see it opening weekend? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was a pretty big hit when it came out. I yeah. think it, it did really well the first weekend for its budget. I think it was a, a $900,000 film. Yeah, and it did over $2 million its first weekend and ultimately grossed like $8 million. So those aren't like mind-blowing numbers for Hollywood, but for its budget, it was very successful. And you can see why they would go on to make more of them. Honestly, I remember, because I, I, and if we have a chance to uh, get into it, but I remember reading about it in Fangoria, and I was actually looking forward to it when it came out. And I'm not joking, I was there. I think I may have, have been opening night. I think it may have been Friday night, because I apparently didn't have a life and I wanted to see Leprechaun. So I, I remember enjoying it. I don't have, like, I have no memory of seeing this movie in the theater and not being anything other than happy with it at the time. And, and I'm somebody with that point who had seen his fair share of horror movies. So it wasn't right. coming in this as a newbie. Uh, and, and yet for some reason I just, I enjoyed it. And I, I think at the time, even I took it for what it was. I think I get anybody who goes into this movie and is expecting something scary on any level. Like, even if you don't yeah. like horror movies, you're the kind of person that's hypersensitive. I I would find it shocking if you found this movie scary. Now, might you get grossed out real easy and you think, oh, that was gross? Yes, there's a couple gross parts. But for the most part, there it, there is literally nothing scary in this movie, in my opinion. I, I mean, there are, there are moments that are intended to be scary, but it's always undercut by silliness, which is fine. I think if the silliness had been a little better written, I would have enjoyed it more. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think that's the weakness. Because I think Warwick Davis turns in a fun performance. And oh, yeah. I think Jennifer I like Aniston's good. I feel like the cast is mostly good. I think Mark Holton is weird in it, but I, you know, the cast is mostly fine, especially for this era. We've talked about Tiny Terrors on the show before when we did the Puppet Master franchise, and 
Joel, I know you're a big fan of critters and yep. and ghoulies the too. Kind of tiny terrors stuff. You know, I think about child's play, yep. and this is in the yes. same ballpark as those tiny terror mm-hmm. types of films, where you have this little villainous munchkin running around chasing you. Um, and yeah, I just I don't think those are ever really that scary. I would go to the mat to make the argument that Child's Play is an effective horror film, but that's the, we'll, we'll uh, yeah. set that aside for a second. Um, but I think, yes, to your point, the vast majority of quote-unquote tiny terror type horror films don't usually play super scary. Now, I guess it also depends, right? I mean, you, if you throw any type of dull slash you know, triloquist dummy type of character into that i mean that can be creepy it could be effective i mean if you've seen uh stewart gordon's dolls or seen magic which of course is a different type of movie uh, i mean there's a lot of movies where that's a very effective sure. creepy it's got a it has it's more of a creepiness than a full-on like oh i'm you know really scared annabelle it, creation is scary yeah there you go um uh, with dead silence remember the james wan picture that came out like yeah like after saw it wasn't it wasn't horrible i remember i remember this was a different era don't you think like this kind of critters leprechaun yes because there's tongue in cheek have the same kind of vibe ghoulies gremlins they do because i think what it is there's a definite tongue firmly planted in cheek element with all of these i i don't think that the people making them expected people to go in you thinking they were seeing a Dawn of the Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't think they, they right. remotely thought that. I think right. you know, Gremlins is a huge, massive hit. And that had that ripple effect that carried through a good chunk of the mid 80s um, until they got even more and more absurd where you get it. I mean, I, you know, God love it. I'm a fan. Munchies. But <laughs> uh, but but even a movie that makes munchies look like high art. Uh, have you ever seen Hobgoblin? Woohoo. Yeah. I have not seen Hobgoblin. Oh, no, you haven't, haven't lived, either. my friends. You have not lived until you've seen Hobgoblin. I think you could tell just from the look of this film that they're not taking it too seriously. I mean, I think the makeup is good. I think the, the, the character looks decent because the makeup, I think, the character design in that sense is really strong, but it the is. costume is ridiculous. Like, the costume right. is just a step above Halloween costume. Why not just tailor a real suit like and actually in the newest film that we're going to eventually talk about tonight uh leprechaun returns they i feel like they took the look of that leprechaun a little more seriously the the look of the original leprechaun just looks you know it looks like a lawn ornament you know and so it's hard i I, I know you can argue well the filmmakers weren't going for realism here and i agree um, but i just think you could make the monster look a little bit scarier if he didn't look like lawn decor Mm -hmm. But again, the, the makeup is perfect. And I think the performance by Warwick Davis, other than his accent, which is weird and totally inconsistent, <laughs> I do think his performance is a lot of fun as the leprechaun. I really, really enjoy him as this guy. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things that sort of struck me about it was just how the characters are just all thrown together. Like Jennifer Anderson, okay, yeah, I can't live out here. It's disgusting. She meets the guy. He challenges her saying, oh, yeah, well, girls are like that. Like five minutes later, she's got paint all over. She's helping them paint. <laughs> right. Uh, even later on, when they're coming back from the hospital, you know, they're all going into the house to spend the night. I'm thinking, don't these three guys have homes nearby? I mean, they live in that area. Wouldn't they go home instead of staying in the house? Well, it's established 
in the newest film that they live about an hour from town. So okay. I don't know if that came up in the original. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think they said that. I don't think I don't remember it coming up in the original. And I remember thinking, okay, well maybe one guy would stay there with her, you know, but maybe the other ones would go home. I don't know. Uh, Dave, I don't know if you learned a lot about this universe from watching the other four films that you watched. For me, I, I learned a lot more about the universe just from watching Leprechaun Returns. There were a lot yes. of things I was unclear yeah. on yes, yes. based on the first film. Like, what are the rules of the Leprechaun? I, the first three movies, <laughs> it they change significantly. And we can okay. get into that a little bit more as we as we go. But... I mean, in this one, it's a four-leaf clover. That's that's the uh, the kryptonite of a uh, leprechaun, apparently, is a four-leaf clover. Well, I just want to go over a couple of these things really quick. He's yeah. immortal. He can also be severely injured, and it hurts him, but then also he can regenerate. So it's like, right. okay, well, he always has certain powers. He can take others' voices. He has some teleportation ability. But then if he gets some gold, he's apparently weakened without his gold. So when he has it, he gets super strength. Like he tears the door off the cop car. He bursts through the wooden floor and he gets better at magically transporting, but not to the point where he does it exclusively. Like he'll still use rollerblades or a wheelchair if it suits him. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it's right, like, right. What? I don't really get what's happening. If he can magically transport. Why are you on rollerblades right now? Why are you, like, why are why? you chasing like with this? Yeah, through a, a wheelchair, wheelchair for yeah. for like twenty miles. He's got to get his cardio in. Yes, right. It's interesting that O'Grady knows that a four leaf clover will kill him, and he actually takes him. I, now I wasn't sure, and you know the way that it's depicted in the film, the clover f appears to be lethal, but the way O'Grady says it is, you've got to touch it to his body, and then you can kill him. So I wasn't sure if the four leaf clover made him mortal and then you were able to kill him. I but thought that, that was interesting too, because that is what he said. It's like, um, it's the kryptonite. You, you put this yes. on him, then you could take him out. Uh, but then we get that ending scene and you're like, Oh, okay. And then I also, I'm not sure why did O'Grady not do this himself? He doesn't, he just leaves the four leaf clover on top of the crate and, and leaves yeah. him there to hibernate for a decade. I mean, I know he had a stroke, but, what was his plan at that point? I guess just to burn the place down with him in, alive in the crate? Yes. Maybe we can go with that or, or yeah. I, I Actually, you know, it's really know. lame. I thought to myself, why wouldn't you just decoupage the clover onto the crate? Like, why wouldn't you just permanently <laughs> attach it to the crate? Therefore, there's no chance of a, a breeze or any, or, you know, or Ozzy to come down 10 years later. Yes, right. You forgot his greatest weakness. You forgot his greatest weakness, Josh. What's that? That if you dirty some shoes and throw them at him. He will stop everything he's doing to clean those shoes. Yes. Yeah, which is a really weird choice. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, I guess. It's a, but weird, it's choice. a really weird choice. <laughs> if you're supposed to in any way take it seriously. Uh, Again, knowing now that you know this was originally geared for children, it does change it uh, in a lot of ways. You could see kids really getting a kick out of this film if they didn't go for the R rating. It's a little weird. Well, I, I did want to ask you guys, so you brought up the effects. I actually, one of my favorite things about the movie is the makeup. I, you know, being a big fan of practical, I thought uh, Gabe, uh, I guess it's Bartolos. Yeah, that's how you pronounce his last name, who is a fantastic effects artist. If you go through his IMDb page, man, I mean, his early work, he started on Friday 13th Part 6 and Chainsaw Massacre 2 and From Beyond Dolls. I mentioned Dolls earlier. He worked on that. Uh, he also uh, designed a lot of the creature effects for Basket Case uh, 3. 
which I don't know if any of you have seen the Basket Case sequels, but uh, uh, he did that kind of, you know, so he's, he's worked on a ton of stuff. I thought the the way he did the prosthetic was very effective because it would have been easy to lose Warwick Davis in all of that. And the fact that, you know, he did it in, you know, multiple layers and in the application so that, you know, you really do. He does have a lot of movement and he's able to emote. I mean, he is expressive and he isn't just sort of this stony faced. I mean, and honestly, I liked the design of the leprechaun. I know we'll get into this more when we talk about leprechaun returns. I liked him in that, but I don't know if his face was quite as expressive as Warwick Davis's was. I thought the character in the new film was excellent, actually. But mm-hmm. I did like Warwick Davis a little bit better. Um, I just feel like the, his writing was so bad, it was hard to care about him at all. Especially right. the first half of the film. is just like, what does this guy even want? Like, this is all... Like, it says, I want me gold. I want me gold. Like, well, go get your gold, bro. Like, what, <laughs> right, yeah, what are you right. doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did think it was interesting that Mark Jones went on to do Rumpelstiltskin because I think this version of a Leprechaun has a very Rumpelstiltskin-y vibe hmm. to him. Like, I, I don't know a lot about Leprechaun mythology, but this is definitely more how I imagine a Rumpelstiltskin-like character um, than than a Leprechaun, which I never thought of as, like, a deadly creature so much as just kind of a, a trickster. And so I do like that addition. But this is they do so many weird things here. And, and maybe Jay, you know, our pig-headed horror friend, I can't believe I'm saying that on the show, I, but I do think he might appreciate that there's the introduction of nursery rhyme horror, we have tricycle horror, pogo stick horror. Pogo stick, yes. We've got the uh, slingshot horror. <laughs> so yeah. they, they do some very silly things, and they use nursery rhymes a lot in this film. I don't know if they continue that throughout the franchise, but... We've got Mary had a little lamb, twinkle, twinkle, little star ring around the rosy. And I just think like, what does any of this have to do with leprechauns? Is that it's public domain? I think it's public domain, public domain and leaning towards children, which is apparently what the movie was originally doing. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think if this movie had been made as a, a hard PG you know what I mean? If they had done it as just this, mm-hmm. you know, for kids, I intentionally make it for kids, but give it a little bit of an edge, make it, you know, dark and and disturbing in its own right. That that it could have actually worked. That's interesting. Never thought about that. I really liked the times when the film was stylized. I don't know if you guys noticed, but they used this really hard green light around the well near the clover patch. Whenever mm-hmm. they were on the clover patch, there was this hard yes. green light on people yes because and, they passed into it and it, it reflected onto the actor several times yeah i really liked the way that looked i wish they'd done a little more subjective lighting in that way and in the article right. in the article in uh in fangoria they they talked about that the director intention he actually mentions the fact that dick tracy which had just come out a couple years earlier was a reference point that they wanted oh, to create some of that lighting and that that effect. I mean, he definitely was going for a comic book vibe. I think there's yeah, no, right, I no mean, doubt. he point blank says that. Well, I wonder, was this explicitly inspired by Lucky Charms? Like there's, <laughs> there's a Lucky Charms reference in the film. There are two Lucky Charms references in the film. One with the actual cereal where the leprechaun eats some and, you know, spits it out. And then later in the film, one of the final, you know, catchphrase one-liners has to do with lucky charms i wonder like was he just eating lucky charms one day but like huh, i bet i can make a horror movie out of this <laughs> you're right <laughs> he does claim that he because uh, i guess a lot of people accused 
the movie of, oh, you're just, you know, this is post child's play, as you said, and post all these other tiny terror horror films. People would say, oh, well, you're just ripping this movie off. He claims that he actually wrote the original screenplay in around 1985. So he, he says that he actually wrote it several years before all those movies came out. Now, you could make the way 85, then he probably was influenced by Gremlins, but that's okay. We'll give him that. A lot of people were. <laughs> the one question I just had for you guys is, could this be done well? Like, I, 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 this is fine. It's fun. Uh, could you make a terrifying Leprechaun movie if he really set out to do it? I say yes, but I think... So. Did you watch the trailer for Leprechaun Origins? No, I didn't. Okay. I actually want to go back and watch that one. Because that, that came out, was it 2016? Somewhere in there, I think? Maybe? Yeah, pretty recently. I've yeah. heard it's one of the worst. Is it but. really? See, the trailer actually makes it look like a pretty effective, grittier horror film. There's no okay. one-liners. You actually do not see the leprechaun pretty much at all in the trailer. And what you do catch glimpses of, it seems more animalistic. So I think that would be the direction you'd have to go. I think you'd have to strip the character of all of the artifice of the, you know, the, the, the cliche and the, the iconography of what, a, what a leprechaun, you know, people think it looks like. And I think you'd have to take it down to that elemental level of this mythical creature that, and you obviously have to establish some rules that didn't confuse the uh, hell out of Josh and uh, Dave. And it, <laughs> so that, you know, it, it would be very clear as to what it could do, or what it couldn't do. But I think if you did something like that, you set it in a place like Ireland. I, I don't know. I feel like that could potentially be effective. I think that would be a big thing to set it in Ireland and use the Irish countryside. Which is apparently what or, that's to, origins. Apparently, origins is in Ireland. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that to me sounds so much more interesting. I. I, that, that's one of the big problems with American horror movies to me is they all have to be about Americans. It's just like, no, like go, go somewhere else. Yeah. More, there are more interesting things to see than Northern California or, North or Dakota. an hour out of LA countryside in every movie. Yes. Yeah. There's an opening scene in Leprechaun two that takes place in Ireland. And as I'm watching and I think of that Austin powers line, isn't it amazing how Ireland looks nothing at all like Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> I just think I actually like the costuming in the next film we're going to talk about. So I th I think you could keep that. And I don't mind some of the cliche little rhyming schemes. Like, you know, if that's what a leprechaun is, I kind of imagine Puck from Midsummer Night Dream. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't mind a trickster kind of character, but it's definitely a fine line to walk. But, you know, I feel like well, we'll get into it in the next film. I think when it worked for me is when he just kind of it was like the Joker, you know, he's just out to cause bedlam. Yes. And I feel like that. Worked I agree with better. that. I think, I think that's the other thing is maybe rather than giving him this MacGuffin of, he's got to get his gold, just make it to where, no, he just enjoys getting, get, tricking somebody into taking his gold so that he can then make their life a living hell. Like that's what he likes right. to do. Letting the genie out of the bottle. Yes. Yeah. He just, that's what he's driven by. That is, that makes, because that's what he seems driven by. I mean, he claims throughout the whole, all these movies, that he wants his gold, he wants his this, he wants his that. But the fact is, what he really seems to be getting off on is causing mayhem and havoc, death and destruction. Right. Speaking of, <laughs> do you guys want to do some ratings of this bad boy or? Yeah. All right, so let's start off with, hmm, pick our poison. <laughs> I think we'll start off with Wolfman Josh. What do you got? 
I can see why people like this movie. And I think if I had seen this as a kid, I would have enjoyed it more. I think it's hard for me to go back and get into a film like this, but it's as a dumb horror comedy, I get the appeal, you know? And I think for me, this is like in the 5.5 range. I I can see why people even would call it a horror classic in, in, in that sense, because it has that fun. I know it's 1993, but it has that kind of fun late eighties, early nineties vibe to it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Jennifer Aniston in the film. I enjoyed most of the cast in the film. Some of the kills were stupid, but that was kind of the worst part for me. So, you know, I think the uh, pogo stick killing didn't completely work for me. No. <laughs> but I but I love the little feral creature with claws going around. And, and uh, I mean, there are some weird moments. Like, he just full-on gropes Nathan at one point. It's not even like a, you know, he could have punched him in the balls or you know crunched him or something but he just cops a feel basically just because it was straight up squeeze (laughs) i thought that was a little weird (laughs) um yeah i i think this is worth a rental for horror fans i know uh that carmen who's going to be calling in later uh, watches this every year on saint patrick's day I don't know that I'd go so far as to watch this every year on St. Patrick's Day, but if you were having like a St. Patrick's Day party with some friends who didn't mind a dumb horror movie, I think this would be a fun one to put on and laugh and have a good time. 5.5 and a rental. Okay, excellent. Dave? I'm a little higher. I'm going to say a six. I mean, I I was sort of, um, you know, picking on the movie for most of it, but I I agree with a lot of what Josh said. I, I liked Warwick Davis. I didn't dislike any of the performances. I thought they were all kind of, they were all, you know, strong. And knowing it's for kids, like I said, it it does change it a little bit. Some of the stuff I thought that was just juvenile was intended to be juvenile. So I'd say six out of 10, a definite rental. And like, like Josh, I can see why people would, uh, you know, would, would enjoy this film, especially if you, if you grew up with it. Yeah. I, I can see that, especially since I, I think may, I may be one of those people. However, I am, I am slightly flabbergasted at both of your ratings. I, I, I would have put money on the table that they were going to be lower than that. I mean, you guys are actually in the range that I am. Because wow. for, for me, I was going to say six. For this one, I'm giving... Now, I will say that... Under, well, did you disagree with our criticisms of the film? No, I really can't. I, I, mean, the, the, I think, and as uh, Josh... And David, I have talked about uh, many times uh, offline, and that's something that comes up on Retro Movie Geek frequently. It's a descriptor that my good buddy Jason Grooms uh, and I came up with many moons ago, which is CND, Cinematic Nostalgia Disorder. It's when you put on those nostalgia goggles and any yes. in, in a movie that you love um, uh, doesn't probably hold up and there's a part of you that knows it you just you know everybody's right when they're critic you just yeah 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 you're right it does that Mm -hmm. but you can't help it you still have a fondness for it now i'd say it's a six but it's a for me it's a strong six in that i don't know if like like josh said i don't know carmen i don't know if i could do it every st patrick's day but it's one that if it was on like you know like the sci-fi channel or we have uh, the comet channel around here so if it was on i would totally leave it on i would just if i was flipping that i'd leave it on the background it's a fight it's just there's something about the movie i think you hit on it too 
Josh, when you said the uh, the line about it's like that late 80s, early 90s, it's got that direct-to-video feel that I'm a fan of. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not, in fact, I saw it in the theater, so I know it's not. So it has that, and I enjoy that. I it just I think it's like a cinematic sitcom where yes. you, you know it's 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 like you know you come home from a hard day at work and you know you should do something yes. more productive with your time but you know what you you may have seen the, those episodes of will and grace 15 times already you don't care you're gonna sit and sure. watch it anyway although i realize will and grace is probably higher by comparison but you get my point it's like it's a it, yeah. it's just you're talking to a guy who regularly watches uh, murder she wrote okay yes <laughs> so. it's like that that sort of feeling you get where yes you know full well you know it's probably not good for you, but you're going to do it anyway. So I feel like that's Leprechaun for me. So I get it. I appreciate it. It's a horror movie. I realized, by the way, I, I may need to rethink the whole alien not being a horror movie thing. <laughs> Where I thought about it, I was like, you know, that really is a stupid thing to say. I think what I meant is if I went into a video store, it would be in the science fiction section. But I digress. Um, <laughs> Leprechaun is a horror movie, but it's a silly, goofy, way more comedy than horror movie, horror movie. I feel like this you could say is a kitty horror film and it's not necessarily offensive. Uh, you know what I mean? Like yes. I feel like it's safe. It, it's yeah. a safe horror film. I feel like this is a this is a good gateway drug horror movie, right? This is the, you know, a 13 14 year olds, especially if it was on TV. Because if it was on TV and they would cut out some of the stuff, this movie yeah. literally would be a completely kid-friendly horror movie in the grand scheme. Well, scooter. and it's nighttime, but it's lit as though the lights are on the whole movie. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. Like, yeah. it never really feels super dark or atmospheric sure. or, you know, you're not really ever scared during the watching. of. As Joel, you pointed out at the beginning. I do think... Again, for like a film I'm going to revisit every year, it doesn't feel super St. Patrick'sy to me. Yeah. <laughs> I like it to have like a St. Patrick's Day parade and the and the music and like give me a lot of color green and you know the the lush countryside of Ireland. Like that's the kind of stuff I want in a movie that I'm going to revisit every year for that vibe. You know, the reason Halloween and Trick or Treat and films like that work so well for the fall is you completely immersed in that holiday like it feels like the holiday of halloween um same with a lot of my favorite christmas horror films i always rate them on you know my regular rating and then my christmasy rating and that's kind of that would be a big detractor for me Mm. with this yes it features a leprechaun um front and center for the entire film but i just it doesn't feel super saint patrick's-y to me i think that's fair because it doesn't right no it doesn't (laughs) this story other than them using the clover and the pot of gold, and I mean, a pot the of gold there. Yeah, sure, but I mean, you could switch those out for other other MacGuffins. Sure. You could you could easily switch those out. So I, I I feel like other than him being an Irish legend, there really isn't anything that feels Irish about the film. There's nothing about you know cultural. He just doesn't have that feel. So I agree right. with that. If you want to have a really really good uh, chuckle, and this goes for everyone listening, go to Amazon and watch the trailer that they have for leprechaun the 1993 version of leprechaun it is a brilliant example of false advertising i i showed it to my kids and the afterwards they're like that is that's amazing that looks great it <laughs> it, it is they make it's this action-packed just suspenseful <laughs> dark-edged <laughs> thriller and the movie we wanted it is it is it is yeah it is definitely not the movie that is in fact leprechaun but you know that's that's how you sell the movie right 
So one thing that we do on Universal Monsters cast that I really liked, because we had Joel, who was the quote-unquote retro movie geek of the cast, and so I I thought, it would, wouldn't it be cool if Joel brought a retro review to the table? What were people saying about the movie then? And I really enjoyed the way that's played out on Universal Monsters cast. I think, especially because those movies are so old, it's so much fun yes. to go back to the 1930s and read how Frankenstein was reviewed at the time, but... Um, Joel, as you've mentioned many times on the show, you were a big Fangoria kid. And so you've got all of these Fangoria magazines still from the 90s and 80s. And we just realized kind of today what a great treasure trove uh, that could be for the podcast. If you could go back and give us some retro reviews, you know, in quotes of things that were being said about these films at the time. And didn't you actually find the Fangoria from the release of Leprechaun? Yes. What I found was, as I, yeah, I still have a few of my old Fangos kicking around, and it's issue number 111, which has the uh, creature from Sleepwalkers on the cover. I actually, uh, <clears throat> I'm proud, uh, judge me if you will, I am proud to admit that I actually have two copies of this. The one is my original <laughs> copy that I I bought when I was you know, a kid, when the when this issue originally came out. It has long since lost its cover, so I ended up coming across it on eBay or, or something a few years back, and I found it with the cover, and I picked it up. So it, it actually, it's not so much reviewing the movie as much as it was a behind-the-scenes during the making of, but it's interesting That's to so cool though. Yeah, it is yeah. cool. And it's interesting to note um, that the, some of the things they talk about in the article, I am fairly confident did not happen in the movie. So they're talking about it as they're on set, watching the scenes play out. Oh, interesting. And uh, do you recall a scene where a appendage was removed? I think saying an yes. appendage and, and that it then subsequently uh, engaged uh, its original owner in a game of tag for, for lack of a better way of putting it. I don't, I, I do not remember I, that I, element. I, okay. No. Well, the way it was described in the article, that was the thing that happened. So <laughs> it was things like that. Um, it did Whoa. talk, it did talk about the cop scene that you mentioned. You guys were, were definitely right about that being a, uh, a pickup scene because, and I think it had more to do with them realizing that the leprechaun had uh, damage done to his eye at some point mm -hmm. and they didn't want him running around. It was like very early on in the, in the movie and they realized he would have to be running around for the bulk of the rest of the movie without an eye. So that was how they <laughs> figured they could get him a new one. So That's great. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes though was from Warwick who, who was very, you know, here's the thing. He was very proud of this. He had loved the fact that he got this opportunity Prior to this, you know, he was Willow. He was Wicket. He was seen as this, oh, he's a sweet, nice guy who's in these wholesome movies. He's never going to want to do something like this. And he was like, no, 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 I, I'm an actor. I want to do this. This would be amazing. So he was super into it. He was super excited. And uh, to quote him, he said, I don't know about you, but I think that killing somebody by jumping up and down on him with a pogo stick is hilarious. So <laughs> there you have it from Willow of Good. <laughs> he enjoyed so interesting people. yeah i you know i don't know if he actually did any of the vocalization for wicket back in the day I, i'm not up on my star wars trivia like it should be in that way 
but I swear there were some distinctly Ewok sounds coming out of this leprechaun. During the <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about that. That's funny. I, there were a couple of times when I'd hear him go, rah, rah, and I'd be like, oh, okay, that sounds like that's exactly from Return of the Jedi. Oh, that's great. Well, and, I, and for those Fango fans out there, uh, not only did this issue have the coverage of leprechaun and the coverage of sleepwalkers, we also get uh, the lawnmower man. With, with King's name mentioned in relation to it. So this is pre wow. him requir- requiring his name to be off of it. Uh, Stepfather 3, their their tagline, hey. they put Father Slays Best. Um, <laughs> Dark Shadows, remember when the t- when they did like the reboot of the TV show? Oh, wow. I think this yeah, is- Yeah, in the 90s yes, version. The, yeah. yeah, the early 90s. And specifically, this is referring to some new comics that had come out in relation okay. to that. This is also the issue that had the first annual Chainsaw Awards in it. That's interesting. That's historic. Yeah, pretty cool. So, yeah, that's uh, the Fangoria coverage of Leprechaun. I was trying to see if I could find if they eventually reviewed it, reviewed it, maybe in the video eye of Dr. Cyclops or something, you know, they would they would do reviews. But I did not come across that. So, okay. so uh, I also did, if you're interested, find a review. Now, you know, 1993 was... 26 years ago. God, I'm old. Uh, and uh, uh, Vincent Canby reviewed Leprechaun for the New York Times. Oh, boy. That you, can't be good. Oh, uh, I, th- I think you will not be surprised. Uh, it, it, <laughs> he says things like the title character in the new horror film titled Leprechaun is supposed to be fiendish. But though the movie's body count is respectable. Uh, side note for me, uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. Actually, I was going to say it has a very low body count, in my opinion, but he seems to be no more than dangerously cranky. <laughs> <laughs> that may be because the setting is rural North Dakota, which doesn't suit leprechauns, or because the screenplay and direction are amateurish, which doesn't suit films of any kind. And then he just goes on from there. Oh, I don't disagree with the New York Times horror review for once. So taking it down memory lane. Love it. I love it. So that, I guess, might be a regular feature on the show, a little yeah, retro absolutely. review. Hopefully people enjoy that. Let us know if you did in the comments at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. It's something that we've really enjoyed doing over at the Universal Monsters podcast. One more thing before we move on. I would love to read Sal Roma's mini review of Leprechaun. He says, Leprechaun, a lousy yet often fun film. <laughs> I enjoy everything about the Leprechaun with the effects, design, and one-liners. It's never scary, but it doesn't feel like it's meant to be. Third act drags with multiple potential endings that just keep going. Wish the body count was higher. Six out of ten. So that's from Sal Roma. Thanks, Sal. All right. So that brings us to the end of our Leprechaun 1993 coverage. So now we're going to kick it over to our own Dave, Dr. Shock Becker, with some mini-reviews of Leprechaun 2 and three, and some reactions from Sal Roma for those two films. All right, so we have Leprechaun 2 from 1994. The opening scene is set in Ireland in the past. There's no way this was shot in Ireland, and I, I don't think anybody expected that it would be. It's a low-budget, you know, sequel. Um, but not no real... <laughs> They didn't really go to any lengths to make it appear to be Ireland either. (laughs) So I thought that was interesting. He has, um, I guess the best way to put it is an indentured servant, possibly, or a slave that follows him around the leprechaun because this person had tried to, this guy had tried to steal his gold. So he became his servant and he calls the leprechaun master. 
Well, the leprechaun has decided it's time for him to marry. It's his 1,000th birthday. It is St. Patrick's Day, his 1,000th birthday, um, which immediately threw me because I could have sworn in the first movie he said he was 600. But anyway, <laughs> in this movie, he's 1,000 in the past. Uh, and he decides it's, it's, it's time for him to get married. So he spotted a young woman who, it turns out, is the daughter of his servant and what the rule the, this is an interesting rule if the girl sneezes three times without oh. anyone saying god bless you she immediately becomes the leprechaun's bride <laughs> yes so, so anyway the leprechaun blows in his hand and she sneezes once and this guy's like really upset it's his daughter he doesn't want her tied in with this you know Sneezes twice. When she sneezes a third time, he says, God bless you, and runs off. The leprechaun gets him and says, fine, you've stopped me now, but on my thousandth, a thousand years from now, on my 2000th birthday on St. Patrick's Day, I will get your most attractive descendant, and I will marry her, and she will be my bride. Well, by this point, then they have a scene where they're showing like the different um, drawings of, of uh, over the opening credits. They show drawings of the various descendants of this guy, the different female descendants. And I think they show about nine of them. And then they finally get to America to the girl who he is going to set his sights on, which is Bridget, played by uh, Siobhan Durkin, uh, is the actress's name. To set this up, uh, she is dating a guy named Cody, who is running, they live in L.A., and he's running a tour a haunted tour of uh, i guess a tour of the most haunted locations in hollywood um and he actually lures in some um some customers one of whom is clint howard uh oh, wow. ron howard's younger wow. brother which i thought was interesting to see him in in this movie very briefly and he's only listed as tourist in the credits um which other than warwick davis he's the biggest star in this movie you think they could have at least given him a damn name but <laughs> anyway the leprechaun gets into the picture, gets her to sneeze three times, boom, she's gone, and now it is up to Cody, her boyfriend, played by Charlie Heath, to rescue her. They're living in a tree um, that said it was it was a tree that was dedicated by the Harry Houdini Society, um, and he has uh, there's a little like cutout in the tree, and you go in there and you're in his lair, which is the size of probably a large house. Let's put it that way. Okay. His lair and there are merry tricks. And, and Cody has to go down into that eventually to try to save Bridget from this, this awful fate. So that's the setup of, of Leprechaun 2. The weirdest um, setup imaginable. Yes. yes. It's very bizarre. <laughs> very strange. Um, it's not good. It's really really not good it it makes it, it made me long it made me long for the subtlety of the first movie <laughs> wow unfortunately uh siobhan durkin is not a good actress i'm trying to see what else she has done if she's done anything recently uh oh yeah she's still acting i'm hoping it got it got better at least by the time she was in love boat the next wave in 98 i'm hoping things got a little bit better for her by that point um, but not a strong performance. The setup is is ridiculous. There's no real horror here either. I mean, this list is comedy first, then fantasy, then horror on IMDb. 
I don't even know if I'd put them in that in that order. It might even be like romance before you get to horror. Um, it's just not. There wasn't much scary in the first movie. There's less scary in this movie. What are these movies like? What is like? I don't know. I don't know what these things. And the idea here now, you know how in the first one, the four leaf clover is what did him in. Yeah. In this movie, it's wrought iron. Anything that's iron does him in. Like Ooh. somebody, like when when he was going to kidnap Bridget, I don't know if she threw uh, one of the pokers from a fireplace at him and he caught it and it burnt his hand, the leprechaun, because it was made of iron. Mm-hmm. And that's new. I said, well, they didn't really touch on that in the first movie. It might have made it a little easier to kill him in the first movie than looking for that, that clover and the clover patch. They probably could have <laughs> found something iron laying around that could have done him in. You know what's really funny, guys, is that they most likely didn't even bother watching the first movie because you would think that if you had, you would have also caught that little continuity issue of, well, if it's a thousand years ago and a thousand years from now, he's going going to be 600. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Is he negative 400? Right, exactly. He's losing years. (laughs) Maybe that's part of his uh, mythos. Maybe that's what happens. Possibly. The further that's time possible. progresses, he gets younger. Maybe as he loses his gold, the the years pack on. Oh, that's, that's it. what it is. And when he gets all his gold, they they fall off. It's like dog years. Mm. Or it could be that too, the leprechaun years. <laughs> right. Maybe it's 12 leprechaun years for every one of our years. Um, <laughs> there's not even any real like suspense or tension as this guy Cody is trying to track down and find out where where Bridget might be. They got lucky when they were um, him and his boss, who played his boss, Morty. Um, I've seen him before. Sandy Barron. Oh, that's who he was. He played a recurring role in Seinfeld. He played Jack Clumpus, I think was a neighbor okay. of his father's. <laughs> okay. He owned the business that Cody had worked for. The two of them were, were in the jailhouse and a, a drunken hobo was brought in because the, the leprechaun had stolen his gold tooth. And a drunken hobo was brought in muttering about how a leprechaun, he was sleeping by the Harry Houdini tree. Well, I guess it's a while later, Cody makes the connection that that must be where the leprechaun's lair is. And of course, he walks right into the tree and he's he's at the lair. Why, um, why would he take someone's tooth? That's not his gold. Apparently, the, the, the leprechaun just likes anything that's gold. Oh, okay. it's, it's his gold plus anything else. So he's like gold. a two-year-old where everything's just his. Exactly, and and this this poor hobo was laying there with his gold tooth, and uh, Leprechaun basically pulled it out of his head. (laughs) As confusing and as as scattered as the synopsis is, that's basically how the movie is. It's all over the place. My rating for this would be low. I would have to give it a. I'd have to give it a two point five and say it's an avoid. Yikes! It's it's just it's not good. It's it's just not a good movie. Um, It's interesting to note, too, that the director, Rodman Flender, did you guys ever see Idle Hands back in 1999? Yeah, I actually really like Idle Hands. Yes, me too. I remember liking it at the time. I felt like it was a really underrated, yes. if not super wacky movie. Sure, but. yeah. it's a, And it's more of a comedy horror, for sure, as I recall. Mm-hmm. But I remember liking it. He also did The Unborn in 1991 with Brooke Adams. So, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And some Tales from the Crypt episodes. So he's done some good stuff. Very interesting. He's been around. Okay. I'm looking at this foreign poster for the film, and it has a couple of taglines here. One wedding and lots of funerals is one of the taglines. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one is terrible. The gold, the bride, and the ugly. 
Oh my God. That's bad. Well, that first tagline is great because I think this came out the same year as Four Weddings and a Funeral, right? Was that around 94? Oh, very good. Yeah. That yeah. must have been what it is. Yeah. yeah. And I, okay, ready for this? How shameful is this? I am 99% sure if I went digging through my little uh, movie poster collection right now, I think I have the video poster for this movie. And you know something? I, I like the U, the U.S. Uh, tagline. This time, luck has nothing to do with it. <laughs> so here is Sal Roma's uh, response to the film. It is a little blue for our non-explicit podcast. It's still non-explicit, so I'll go ahead and read it. It says, uh, Leprechaun 2, a lifeless sequel lacking the fun value of the original. Even the Leprechaun himself didn't bring as much entertainment. Leads weren't interesting dug some of the leprechaun mythology he must have liked those sneezing bits yeah right <laughs> <laughs> ian expecting to get laid after buying chili dogs for a girl is amazing though oh that's right i, I didn't even go into that how this other guy tried to sort of move in on her when uh, her and cody had a falling out that is pretty amazing <laughs> chili dogs as a pickup is not necessarily effective now everyone knows it's an aphrodisiac everyone knows it yeah right right sell <laughs> one even lower than you dave he gave this a two out of ten so. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I can't argue with Sal's uh, rating. I can't even I can't even justify my 0.5 higher, to be honest with you. So. My favorite part about this whole thing, besides the fact that they obviously never even watched the first movie, is the fact that I'd like to point out Dave made it 10 minutes into part four. He watched this entire movie. So what does that tell you about four? Well, by this point, I was still in the whole Lent, Lenten thing. Oh, okay. And I was actually okay. contemplating hitting pause and finding a cat of nine tails and getting into self-flagellation uh, instead. <laughs> but you seemed pretty excited going into part three comparatively. Yes, yes you did. I believe yes. I, have a, I have a quote here from that one as well. Let's see if I can find it. Um, All right. Wow, it's amazing how a simple little phrase at the beginning of a movie can change your entire mood. Just starting Leprechaun 3 and the following popped on screen. A Brian Trenchard Smith film. I'm a huge Brian Trenchard Smith fan. Stay tuned. All right. Leprechaun 3. Get into a little bit of a setup here. I'll, I'll do the, the, a quick synopsis of, of this film. This movie is set in Las Vegas. It opens with... Okay, this is going to add to the mythos again. It opens with a strange man walking into a pawn shop carrying the statue of a leprechaun with a medallion around its neck. The owner of the said pawn shop is going to, you know, purchase this. The guy wants $20. He wants enough gas to get the hell out of Vegas. So he gives him the $20. And the guy, like the guy who brought it in initially said, don't take that medallion off. Don't touch that medallion. No matter what you do, leave it right where it is. Well, the first thing the guy does is take the medallion off and take it over and inspect it. And as he's inspecting, he's looking and saying, I don't know what he's talking about. This medallion, it's a piece of junk. The leprechaun springs to life. It was the statue. It turned into a statue with this thing around its neck, I guess. It sprung to life, um, was looking for its gold because what happened, well, here's what happened. The leprechaun, when he sprung to life, he jumped off of his pedestal. Under the pedestal, it turned out, was a pot of gold, his gold. So he gave this guy plenty of time to grab some of it. Then said, I want my gold back. It's almost like he was setting the guy up to fail by, you know, by, by leaving the gold unattended for a time. Well, he ends up getting it back. He hurts this guy. Now, the, the one thing about this movie is it is, to me, the gore seems more prevalent. You see it right in this opening 
um, you see the leprechaun bite an ear, and you see it, like, biting and taking a piece of the ear off. Um, you see hammer swings, you see arrows going to arms throughout this movie. This is a gorier picture. It To me, it felt gorier than the first two. I thought it had more gore than the first two combined, to be honest with you. But that's something Brian hmm. Trenchard Smith, I think, would bring to it. Um, anyway, there's, there's more of a setup here. This guy is in Las Vegas. He's in college. He's passing through, and he helps out this girl whose car broke down. She works at a casino as a magician's assistant. Scott was played by John Gattins. He's the college student. Tammy is the uh, uh, magician's assistant, played by Lee Armstrong, and he drives her to the casino uh, so she can get to work on time. And at this casino... Um, there are other characters. One is Loretta, played by Caroline Williams, who's made to look very heavy and a lot older. Um, you know, she's wearing what I guess would be the equivalent of a fat suit throughout a good portion of the movie to made to be made to look a little heavier. Mitch, who owns it, played by Michael Callan, and Fazio, the magician that she works for, played by John Demita. Uh, we meet this cast of characters. I will say this one was put together better. This seemed to flow like a, this flowed better than the first two movies, in my opinion. Okay. Now this could just be me as a Brian Trenchard Smith fan, you know, sort of overlook. I can't overlook everything. It's still not a great movie. It's not, it's not a good movie. Okay. It's not even great. It's not even, it's not, I can't even say it's a good movie, but I found myself a little more entertained in this film because of the cast of characters. And, you know, the leprechaun, Warwick Davis, again, he's fine. Um, but the cast of characters, I thought, was rather, was interesting. Caroline Williams is Loretta. Fazio, the magician. Mitch, who owns the casino. These two guys who were trying to collect from him. Um, Marcelo Tubert played Gupta, the shop owner. The performances in this movie were not bad. I mean... Uh, Everybody, I thought, did a decent job in this one. I liked the flow of it, and I did like the story outside of the Leprechaun. But we get that change once again. In this movie, it's that medallion that is his that is his kryptonite. When he, whenever he's near that medallion, he has to get away. They don't talk about four-leaf clovers. I don't even think they get into iron in this movie. It's that medallion is his kryptonite, and he can't be anywhere near that medallion. He runs from it all the time. And something else happens. At one point in the movie, the lead is bitten by the leprechaun and starts to become a leprechaun, which is different from the other two movies. Yeah, I wow. know he was biting people then, too. He even bit Gupta at the beginning, and Gupta never became a damn leprechaun. But in this one, he bites Scott, and Scott becomes a leprechaun. Um, slowly craving gold, he gets long hair, starts talking with a very thick Irish brogue. Um, <laughs> and also when you get the gold piece from the leprechaun, if you make a wish, your wish comes true. Scott wishes to do good at the casino. He does. Caroline Williams wishes to look better than she does. And she does look better. Fazio wishes to be the greatest. Everyone's wishing on this thing. And the wishes come true. As long as you're holding the medallion as uh, the gold piece, if someone else takes the gold piece, your wish dissipates and it's gone. Not for Scott. Cause he already won the money. But for other people, they lose the gold coin, boom, that's the end of it, and the wish uh, starts to disappear. So again, changes to the sort of mythos with the character. Again, I'm a big Brian Trenchard Smith fan. I really am. Uh, some of his movies rank like as my all-time favorite Australian films, like Dead End Drive-In, and 
I really like Escape 2000, a lot of his films, you know, and, and he, he crosses genres all the time. Um, you know, like, I don't even know if you could put Dead End Drive in within a specific genre. It's not action. It's not drama. Yeah. It's not horror. It's, it's, it's different. Yeah. It's just a different sort of film, but it's a damn good movie. You watch it, you really get into it. And that's what a lot of his movies are like. So I might be a little more forgiving on that because he directed it. But I, like I said, it's still not as as it's still not as, as strong of a movie. I'm going to give it a better rating. I'm actually going to come in at a 4.5 and say that this is a low priority rental. Okay. All right. It doesn't even matter that you skip number two because none of the none of the match up anyway. Oh, and there's a I think I sent you guys stills of the scene where the leprechaun meets uh, an Elvis impersonator. Yes. That's in the trailer. I watched the trailer for it. That was in the trailer. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That yeah, he, did not he, excite me to see the film. I, I didn't think it that. would. I, I wasn't expecting that it would. <laughs> or, or the picture of the leprechaun at the craps table um, shooting craps. I wasn't oh. sure if that would excite you for this either. But this one was more entertaining for me than the others, but not to the point that I would say, oh, wow, this was a, a terrific movie. So 4.5 and a very low priority rental. Well, like you, Dave... I am also a fan of Brian Trenchard Smith, and I didn't even realize he had directed a movie as a kid I loved. I don't know if you guys ever saw this, because to this day, I can't find it anywhere. It starred Henry Thomas, and this is 85. Uh, it's called The Quest. I remember only a few key things about it, but it was a huge Cloak & Dagger fan, obviously a huge yep. E.T. fan. So I just remember mm. even as a kid being so excited when I saw this on the video shelf. That's really something. I, I, I've not seen that, but now I think I really want to, because... Brian Trencher Smith is one of those guys. He does it. He's across genres. He's like like everyone, like a Howard Hawks, across a whole bunch of genres, and sometimes defying genre. But he's, he's like Howard Hawks. <laughs> yeah. Totally yeah. like Howard Hawks. Yeah. He's 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 the he's the exploitation version of Howard. There Hawks. you go. Put it that way. Hey, you know his movies are always entertaining. So yes, yes, they, they really are. Want. And 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 that's what I'd have to say. Leprechaun Three was Leprechaun Three was for me. And this was straight to video, too, which I thought was interesting. They did release the second one to theaters. It didn't do nearly the business that the first one did. So all of the remaining films have been direct to video. I do have a reaction here from Sal Roma on Leprechaun 3. He says, Leprechaun 3, very little scares. Instead, it's mostly just wacky humor. The Leprechaun is fun again, though. Love the banter between Fazio, Loretta, and Art and Tony. Underdeveloped minor plots. The fact that each film in the series is different is frustrating. A decent effort. 4.5 out of 10. Wow. So he came in right where I did. That's interesting. Yep. Hey, you guys have been pretty close, I would say. And I do want to add, I do want to add, I don't know if you bothered even watching the trailers for the subsequent movies, but I do. I don't know. I didn't catch it in The Leprechaun in Space, but I do believe that some of the mythos from Part 3 carries over to at least Leprechaun in the Hood because that whole chain turning him into a statue thing was in the trailer. Okay. Well, well yeah, and, and I, honestly, every time Dave reviews one of these films, <clears throat> I learn a little something more about Leprechaun Returns. So I, yes. I'm appreciating right. Leprechaun Returns yes. more and more. But I was thinking the, the same thing, Josh. Yeah, movies. I was thinking that too. Right. Josh. Definitely. Now, interestingly enough, I had said I was going to watch four movies: Leprechaun Four in Space. At the beginning, it said a Brian Trenchard Smith film. Brian Trenchard Smith directed this one as well. Still not enough to get me 10 minutes into it. It was an alien. It was it was a ripoff of aliens with the soldiers and they're going into an alien planet and they've got to bring this woman along that they don't want to bring along. And 
So they ask the. It's interesting because they go to the. They got like the the commander says, "I'm not bringing you. I got it." So he talks to the doctor who's running this whole thing. The doctor looks and talks like Doctor Evil from the Austin Powers series to me. <laughs> is exactly who he looked like to me. Um, so that was took me out of it. And then this whole stuff with there's a, there's a woman and the leprechaun is wooing her and talking with a posh accent, which was very interesting. He was trying to woo this woman, and at that point I said. Yeah, I think I'm out. I think my Lenten sacrifice is, is, has come to an end. Uh, I don't think I'll be spending any more time in this movie. So I have no review of Leprechaun 4. Well, that's okay because uh, we brought in the Roughnecks from the Sci-Fi Podcast. And here is Matroid and Station from the Sci-Fi Podcast review of Leprechaun 4, Leprechaun in Space. Hello. And uh, I'd, I'd say... Oh, Open the Hi. Let's try that again. Hi. I think we should keep it. <laughs> knock, knock. Come Who's in. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Okay. Hi, everybody. This is natural. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I know. Let's try that one more time. I'm doing math. This is Metroid and Station from the Sci-Fi Podcast. (laughs) This will take four or five now because Station keeps saying hi (laughs) as I start to introduce things. How is everybody doing? It's been a while since we've done uh, anything, really, actually. About six months. Probably longer than that. September. So six months. What did we do in September? Well, there was uh, Fan X, I believe, and then there was GameCon. Okay. All right. It's been a long time. Anyway, uh, my understanding is that uh, th- this is part of the Leprechaun series for horror movie podcast. My, uh, my other understanding is that Dave, Dr. Shock Becker, would not have anything to do with this movie. And uh, as, as the one-time resident sci-fi people, naturally, we slide in. So uh, this is us reviewing Leprechaun 4 in space. Good evening. Hot stuff coming out. Uh, I, I want to let everybody know there's going to be extremely heavily spoilery, but that really doesn't matter because I don't think we could spoil it all. I still don't think we could explain the movie. Um, let's just tell a little bit about this here. This movie was directed by Brian Trenchard Smith. That's Trenchard hyphen Smith, uh, written by Mark Jones, who wrote the characters uh, from the original and Dennis A. Pratt or Dennis Pratt. What a scowly looking fella. On IMDb, this movie came out in 1997, 96, I'm sorry, 1996, although you would think that it came out maybe in 1984, 85. Based the, on those high-waisted underpants we saw at the end there, I really thought that no, that's it a good could have look. been the 80s. That's a good look. That's the right kind of look, I think, for a space-faring. Very Ripley. It was kind of, well, hers are very low-waisted. Aren't See, they? Aren't they the like the old school like women's briefs that are no. like a freaking triangle, like way, like way high up the hip? No, 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 no. Hers are like. I'm googling her underwear right now. Just Google alien Ripley underwear. It's. Uh, I mean, they show the top of her butt crack and everything. I mean, she's barely got anything. They're like non-existent. Liz's doppelganger is actually in this movie that Is we she? just watched. 
No, but you said that you were concerned, and then you went. You discussed your, your facial features and her facial features, and then <laughs> I was concerned to, trying to align them. <laughs> She's not an ugly gal. You're fine. <laughs> oh, you're right. I see butt crack. See. Okay, they are tiny. I know, right? Okay, you think, and then and that's seventies, seventy nine. I think the the way crazy, like super high up stuff that kind of touched the bottom of the bra. <laughs> Those didn't come out until the mid eighties. Uh, this movie, there are a lot of of screenshots of Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver in her underwear on the internet. That doesn't surprise me. I'm going to try to explain this movie. Okay, I'm not going to use any IMDb description. I'm just going to try to explain it. All of a sudden, there's people. All of a sudden, there's a Princess Zelda. All of a sudden, there's Wicket the Ewok dressed up like a leprechaun. Wait, I just realized I should have made the joke that my doppelganger is the leprechaun. Too late. Damn it. That would have been a good joke, actually. It's, it's been a while. We're rusty. Yeah. That's a joke you made real quick early on. Yeah. So Ugh. it's okay. It's okay. You're also studying. You're doing math right now. Well, right now I'm looking at pictures of Sigourney Weaver in her underwear. But yes, I was doing math. That's mathematic. Yes. Um, okay. So this is what I understand of the movie. Nothing. So many things happen. Heck yeah. So many things happen. A boner turns into a leprechaun. That's a real thing. <laughs> right? That is a real thing. Like it's straight, yes. out of, straight out of Alien. Except in the pants. And it's, and not, it's, leprechaun. A, it's not a chest burster. It's a boner burster. And it's yeah. Irish. Except <laughs> he doesn't really have an Irish accent almost at all. Yeah. But he uses Irish-isms. Uh, what would not uh, colloquialisms. What would they be called? Idioms? Um, Phrases, statements. It would be like the vernacular yeah. or the um, maybe colloquialism. Laddie, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do the it. The Irish vernacular. He was basically like all real Irish people. Um, <laughs> short and not grumpy. Not the fictional ones, the real ones. Short, grumpy, and magical. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> bad skin. <laughs> Terrible teeth. Yeah, really bad teeth. Like the makeup on those teeth looked like crap. So bad. So anyway, we're only supposed to, this is only supposed to be like six minutes long, right? We are, what are we at? 12 minutes now? Uh, Wolfman gave us 10. Okay. All right. <laughs> Big I'll, mistake. I'll I told him five, but you know that that's not going to happen. Yeah. We've been on for four. All right. Uh, so anyway, I don't know what the hell happened in this movie. Some takeaways in the background in one scene, the walls and the set, to, set design on the ship, cause they're on ships here. Um, Millennium Falcons. Kind of cool. Blink and you miss it, maybe. Uh, so then after that, everything I saw I was like, is that a flying view guitar? No. Is that a this? No. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know what to say about this movie other than it. I think it's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I really do believe that. Okay. So I think I can't remember if I've ever brought this up. I'm sure no one has paid attention or cared. So I'm going to retell it. But when I was younger, my friends and I, we all, we used to have, we called them scary movie sleepovers. We would go to the video store because that's how old we are. There were, there were video stores. Um, and we would just pick out the most terrible looking horror movies we could. And then usually one that's, that had genuine potential to make us poop our pants. And, um, this would have been the absolute perfect. We would have laughed our heads off, talked about it forever, quoted it ruthlessly. And um, so that's all you really need to know. The, yeah, this would have been the, a dynamite movie for like the high school years. Yeah. 
it's also, I mean, it, it smacks of the room in how hard it is to actually take seriously. Except I think by design it's is that way. Now, looking at some of these IMDb, IMDb uh, IMDb, as Joel would say, uh, some of these reviews, don't compare it, just have fun with it. R- really? Don't compare it? Like <laughs> To anything. Like, <laughs> don't even good compare cinema, this. Crackers. Movies that have stories. A pillow. <laughs> like, don't compare this to anything. Just, just have fun with it. Another one says, possibly the best movie involving a leprechaun in space ever. Possibly the only. I, I'm sure there's another one, and I'm sure it's better. Give me three takeaways from this, and we'll, we'll cut people loose. It was kind of, as you mentioned, it almost seemed very, like, homage heavy. And maybe I'm reading way into this. Um, or maybe um, it was subconscious on the part of the the creators of this film, but I found uh, one of the opening scenes where the leprechaun was trying to entice this alien princess to be very legend-esque, where, like in Legend, darkness creates this huge spread with all these jewels and everything to entice Lily to come and eat and sit with him and convince her to marry him, which is exactly what huge happened. <laughs> no! It's exactly what happened in this, except it's in a cave. But it's this, it's the same exact type of setup. This evil little creature, ugly creature thing is trying to sure. entice this princess over this like food and jewels anyway. And then, um, it also played out like the only doctor who episode I've ever seen. And, um, yeah, yeah. Right. For reals. Yeah. Um, and also, um, the, one of the per- people in it, I don't, he's not a, a bad guy per Well, I guess he's kind of a bad guy. What was the scientist's name? Remember her? Yeah. He was straight up Denomalos from, oh, yeah, um, Bill, Hand. yeah, from Bill and Ted's bogus journey. I had that thought too. And then also they mix up this blue drink that looks exactly like the blue thing they make in, um, the movie, my pet monster. That's my takeaway. Oh, that's why you said my pet monster. Yeah. I didn't know why. Yes. Yeah. At that point, I just was watching the screen and said, my pet monster. (laughs) That's right. And I was like, okay, that's about (laughs) right. Uh, My takeaways, um, exploding, how many, I think the leprechaun exploded four times. Mm -hmm. On the last time, his severed hand flipped off everybody. From space. From space. Um, Every space scene, I mean, first of all, it's the worst CGI I've ever seen. Like kids today it's, in junior high can put together way better stuff than that. The prequels were worse. The Star Wars prequels they were worse. They suck, but come on. Yeah. This this was but this CGI was better than the Star Wars prequels. All right. Some A plus trollery right there. Mm-hmm. You could call it leprechaun. Hashtag observable facts. <laughs> you're looking around the room like you're trying <laughs> to find facts out there. And you might, because we've just been watching that kind of program here. Um uh, another important thing to to note is that the the marine there's a bunch of marines like straight out of aliens right uh the sergeant i think he was or yeah he was amazing the leader holy crap there is a drag scene and i know there are a lot of people out there who are fans of RuPaul drag race i have never seen it but i feel like this was breathtaking yeah, so not only does this guy have, like, half of his head is a big silver dome, um, but he's, like, prototypical Marine. I th- in fact, I think, if I read it correctly, and I didn't want to double-check it, I think he might have been in 
full metal jacket. This this scene after he's done doing his performance, he pulls out nunchucks. That's important. That's a takeaway. Hmm. Um, drag pe- drag and nunchucks. People taking off clothes when they don't need to, or clothes being taken off of them when it's convenient for the viewer. That are showing boobs for no reasonable reason. And then later, it's explained that that means that you're in trouble. Yeah. Space boobs. Yes. Space boobs equal death sentence. I don't even know if I watched, like, did we watch the whole movie? It started and it ended and mm-hmm. there was credits, but I don't even know if it was actually still the whole movie. And I think our commentary right now is about as um, linear as the movie was. So, so that's a takeaway. This makes Jupiter ascending look like art. Battlefield Earth was better than this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, it hurts to say that, but it's true. Anyway, thank you for listening. So really happy to be on the horror movie podcast. It's been a long time. Um, happier still to just be behind a microphone podcasting because it's been forever. Good to be back. It is good to be back. Good we to are going be to be covering uh, FanX for Salt Lake City. Uh, for some of you, that makes sense. And for others of you, they're not local. Whatever. It's still cool. Uh, and then I think we've actually got some stuff coming up. We're, we're making some changes to the sci-fi podcast. Some big changes. In fact, it's going to be coming back. One of these days. What are the changes? Uh, I don't want to tell you. One of the changes is it's just going to be shorter. That I'm not going to be on the podcast anymore? No, you're still on the podcast. (laughs) It's going to be shorter. Surprise! (laughs) Surprise, you're fired. (laughs) It's going to be a lot shorter. We're looking at 45 minutes of one hour episodes. Um, We're not going to cover a lot of stuff that comes out in theaters recently. Um, We're going to drop some segments. And William's going to use a French accent. Trim the fat. Oh, boy, that's exciting. I need to trim the fat. I was talking about the accent. I understand. No, that, it will be fun. It'll be fun. Uh, we'll see when and how that happens. Uh, but for now, this is Matroid. And Station. And we're the last survivors of, of Leprechaun 4. Five, five, four. Patio furniture. Thank you to Matroid and Station for that fantastic review of the <laughs> classic... Leprechaun 4, <laughs> Leprechaun in Space. Yeah, unfortunately, we do not have any reviews or even many reviews from either Dave or Sal or anyone else for the next few entries in the Leprechaun franchise. Although I've heard repeatedly good things about Leprechaun in the Hood. Um, and I re- that's another that, just like the first, I vaguely remember seeing on television at some point and thinking it was fine. Um but I, I don't have any clear memories of it. And I, I did watch a little bit of the behind the scenes for that one today. And I don't know, it looked f- fun, I guess would be the right word. But yeah, certainly not scary. It was Warwick Davis rapping as a leprechaun. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know. Maybe we can find that leprechaun rap and put it at the end of the show. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and the leprechaun rap would, would take us out in style. It really would. <laughs> well, speaking of going in style, you guys ready to jump on our Leprechaun Returns feature review? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right. So here is our feature review for Leprechaun Returns 2018. You must be one of the girls fixing up the old house way out there from campus. You know about that? Small town. My mom used to live here. She didn't tell you anything about the place where you're going? No. Everything okay? Yeah, everything. He made sure of it. 
<laughs> I've got a lot of killing to make up for. <laughs> this can't be real. <laughs> Do I look like a figment of imagination to you? I want me gold. Here's the thing my mom always said was real. Herna friends blew me down the well to rot. There is a deranged dwarf obsessed with money in the kitchen. It's a leprechaun. He would murder anyone for his gold. I spent last summer stopping poachers from killing sea turtles in Costa Rica. I can handle a bunch of pocket-sized pixies. All right, so Leprechaun Returns 2018 is technically a sequel to the original Leprechaun. This is this is actually, uh, would you guys agree with me, this is a similar situation as uh, Halloween 2018, where yes. we're forgetting we're, all the other ones. We're, we make reference, we allude to them in different ways, but this is picking up after the first one. Exactly. Yeah. And seeing as the other movies had nothing to do with the first one, that wasn't a stretch. That wasn't a tough thing to do. Yeah, it's a very easy transition, right? Because none of the other movies even attempted to do this. Sure, so sure. it's kind of exciting. Right. I wonder if there was an outcry of Leprechaun fans like there was with the Halloween series where people felt like, oh, you know, that's, you don't want to disregard all of the, the classic sequels in, in the series. I, I wonder if there was anybody out there who got really upset that this is going to somehow screw up the continuity. But I wonder. Yeah, yeah, you think there were people chanting leprechaun in space, leprechaun in space. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure they were. Yeah. So the Imdaba brief description of this film is the leprechaun returns once again when a group of girls unwillingly awaken him when they tear down a cabin. What? <laughs> so they can build a new sorority house. That is not what happens in this movie. No, that's that's a problem when you go to IMDb. I should have read that before. <laughs> You're sometimes stuck with uh, somebody who paid no attention whatsoever. Uh, okay. No, well, really, what happens is, and I think I'm not giving anything away. It's pretty much revealed from the uh, onset that the daughter of Jennifer Anderson's character, Tori, uh, she is arriving in the same small town in North Dakota. Uh, she is now transferred to a university that is local and has joined the one and only sorority that apparently is in this university. And she is driven out after arriving in this little town uh, by Ozzy, who is returning. Mark Holton is returning to his role as Ozzy. And he is uh, apparently not only still doing home repairs, it seems, but he also is the local taxi. So he transports her out to the exact same house that I guess is owned by the university now, but conveniently is also uh, the grounds for the sorority to be, I, I guess they're trying to create a very green, environmentally friendly, off-the-grid habitat. I don't know yeah, if it's some, exactly. That's some sort of doing. social experiment, some sort of you know ecology experiment. I don't know what they're doing, but they're they're trying to do something uh, positive and, and and help the environment out. Uh, of course, they happen to pick the house that you know has the remains of a, of a evil leprechaun on it. But isn't that always just the way? It really is. It's always the way. By the way, I think this whole environmental angle was just so they could throw out some reference to going green and do it in a punny sort of way. I'm pretty sure that was the right. whole thought process behind that. <laughs> and they end up going there. She she goes there. She kind of is trying to make friends, but she's, of course, the outsider. She's very much the antithesis to what her mother was in the first film or the character of her mother was in the first film, whereas that one, uh, Josh, I believe you made the Green Acres comparison uh, to, right. to Tori in that film. She is definitely 
more grounded. She, you know, she reminded me a bit of was uh, Lauren Ambrose in Can't Hardly Wait. Like she has that not quite as hmm. snarky angle, but she's she you know she's more a little bit more uh, wise and with it. She reminded me of Deb and Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? Me too. Really? I, 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 at least, at least in not so much in personality. Definitely in, in in look. She did have the look of Deb from Napoleon Dynamite. Absolutely. Well, I didn't even think um, about that. Now that you say it. <laughs> well, you know, they kept saying, you know, you look so much like your mother, and I thought. That she, she doesn't look much like Jennifer Aniston to me at all. No, I didn't think that either. And let me just get this out of the way now, because I'm going to tell you right now, up front, I'm not going to give my rating yet, obviously. This is my favorite one so far. Yeah. That said, why was it necessary from a plot perspective to have her even be related to the Jennifer Aniston character? Could you have just had it? She's a transfer student. She ends up in a situation. Have Ozzy be the connective tissue so that you have, uh, you, you know, it's in the same universe as the original. You know what? That's my favorite element of the movie. Is that is, is that is that it's her daughter? Yeah, I love that. I love that she had this history of knowing about this character, but questioning her mother's sanity on it. I love hearing about what happened to Jennifer Aniston's character from the first film and hearing that this event kind of drove her mad. I loved all that stuff. To me, that added so much richness to the film that the rest of the film, true enough, doesn't necessarily feel like um, it, tonally it kind of becomes a typical high school college fraternity type of film right but i to me that was where it went wrong i you know i and i loved the way it connected to the first film i thought the connection with ozzy and especially the connection with her mother had so much mm -hmm. potential which i think that by and large they delivered on now you know it's it, the film does feel a little slight to me. I felt like it, they could have spent more time even developing the connection with Ozzy and Tori, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. You didn't find that contrived? Like you didn't, I mean, not, in more, not just in the traditional, okay, that you had to get the character there somehow. I just mean, I guess maybe because her mother had died. Is that the reason why she transferred there? Is that the reason why she wanted to be, and is that giving something away? Because it's pretty much in the beginning, you find out that the mother passed, right? Yeah. The way I took it, it just felt very contrived as a reason to have her there. Like it felt, I realize we're talking about a movie about an evil leprechaun, by the way. <laughs> so I'm right. just going to add that little caveat <laughs> as I go on about how, you know, the character motivation seemed off to me. So I just felt that her being the daughter, I get what you're saying. I actually liked that element about her mother. She'd always thought there was something off. You know, everyone thought her mother was crazy, but no, it's validating to find out that no, she wasn't. I liked all that. I think what my problem was, why was her character in this town and why did she agree to be transferred to this? There's lots of reasons. Sort of I think she spent her life taking care of this woman who everyone thought was crazy and she didn't necessarily believe it, but she doubted her mother's sanity. And now that she, and then her mom passes away, they have this family home that her grandfather bought for her mother that she's never been to because her mom kind of forbade it or didn't, you know, told her not to go there. And then with her mother passing, it's kind of like she needed to explore that for herself. Like to me, that's the kind of thing you want a movie to have. Like, why does this movie exist? Why do any of those other leprechaun movies exist? They're there to have a goofy leprechaun on screen mm -hmm. and they don't tie it all to the original story. Why does this movie exist? Like this has a reason to exist. This is taking, getting back to the heart of the original film. In my opinion, like I think that's fascinating and, you know, just from a, like a screenwriting perspective, they always talk about you know, this should be the biggest event in your character's life. And so that gets difficult when you're doing sequels 
because the last movie was already the biggest event in your character's life. But it's interesting in this case, because it's like this character revisiting what her mother's biggest event was that changed the course of her mother's entire life. And then now she's here in her spot to me. I don't, I love Well, actually, you know, but as you're explaining that I agree, what you're saying, I love, and I agree with, and it actually makes me appreciate the movie even more. However, and maybe I just missed it. Did she, I never got a sense that that's why she was there. I mean, yeah, ultimately you find out about the mother, you find out about these things, but is there a moment where she said that was why she came there or there were at least alluded to it heavily? Because I don't recall that being a thing. Maybe I just missed it. I mean, I think it's all there. I don't think it's implied stretching to get there, but they don't spend a lot of time on it either. And I think that for me, that's one of the failures of the film is not, is I feel, I don't want to use the word devolves because I think it's a really fun slasher film but i do think it kind of devolves into maybe just a more typical slasher that we're used to and doesn't stick with what's special about that character and i think if they had spent more time with that then i would have liked that even more Mm -hmm. than i did and i did like this also far more than the original film but i think tying it into the original film makes me appreciate them as a duo i guess it was interesting because actually it was a little nostalgic seeing Ozzy return, and I'm thinking it's it's kind of cool because because I'm not I'm not as invested in the first film, and yet I still get that feeling in this movie. It's like oh wow, mm-hmm. it's cool. There's Ozzy again. That's that's pretty cool. I didn't um, even like how they handled Ozzy in the first film, and but right. I loved seeing him back in this film. I was just like oh, this is feels so special to me. Yeah, yeah without without the other guys, he's by himself now, so he's kind of you know. Honestly, I'd have liked uh, to see the other guys too. I like. I thought that as well. At least the kid. Yes. At least his friend. It would have been cool to see the kid at least in in the movie. I would have liked that. But seeing Ozzy back, it's like, oh, that's pretty good. Now, is what you guys were going back and forth with. Um, I like that element as well. That that she was the daughter. I thought that was cool because it does, like you said, it ties it back to the first movie. Also, what you were saying, Joel, it wasn't as necessary. Like Josh was saying, they dropped the ball a little bit as far as developing it, as far as they could have. She didn't have to be the daughter the way the movie ended up being, mm-hmm. but it was kind of cool. And I kind of like that element as well. well and, I, and I like it if they had gone to the degree that Josh it, was explaining it, yeah. if, if it actually had gone to this place where it became very evident. They, they just given an extra 10 minutes of the movie to showing her, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe having a conversation with a filmmaker guy or something where you you really get that sense of she actually came here to reconnect with her mom, to find something that she never, you know, that was missing in her life. Yeah, you know, if, if I really had gotten that sense, and I don't blame the actress, by the way, because I actually thought she was fantastic. I actually thought she was really good. I thought the yeah. acting across the board in this movie is really good. Oh, uh, yeah. And the supporting cast was even better, I thought. Yes, they were really good. In terms of the women, I didn't love either of the guys, actually, I will say, but I thought all of the women in the film were really strong. Hey, hey, and, um, I got a question for you, Josh. Are you, Do you yeah. feel like you're more, you know, are you going for the Cassavetes Rodriguez vibe when you're out in the field doing your thing? Is that the... <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was funny. Yeah. Hey, you, know, you know what I was hoping, though, again, to just develop this further, I was hoping that the filmmaker... Because what's the point of having that character there? I didn't really see any real point. I was hoping he was doing a documentary about the mom and the massacre that had happened at this location all those years ago. And he was kind of like trying to gain her trust. And then we would be revealed like he's kind of taking advantage of her trying to film a story about what had happened to her mother. That's where I was really hoping. Oh, yeah, that would be. And, and while we're while we're Monday morning quarterbacking this movie, uh, <laughs> the uh, I would have also loved it if, yeah, he's the one that got her out there. 
there was a reason for her to go out there and then she's having to confront these things, these issues. I sort of think yeah. of like the Cindy Prescott thing where she had yeah. this tragedy happen in her life and her this is this issue with her the relationship with the mother and I feel I almost feel like the character might not even completely willingly go into that situation but right. once there and having to face it that's where it could have gotten really interesting. Yeah, and I mm -hmm. I honestly I'm not even I guess I am Monday morning quarterbacking but I guess I thought that's where it was I thought that was what was happening. Oh, I guess gotcha. he, he's filming her while she's telling that story of her mom. Yeah. And he's getting all these establishing shots of the house and everything. I'm like, oh, this is what this guy's doing. This is what he's up to. And I was really excited for that as a possibility. Right. The story of the daughter of this crazy lady. And my assumption was he was a student at the college. He heard that she was coming back to the house. He had heard about this massacre. And he decided, oh, this is an opportunity for me. I would have liked that better. Again, we're going way off script here. But I, that to me, I was just yeah. like, oh, I, I, I think this film had a lot of potential. We're not giving away spoilers because none of that actually happens. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But, you know, yeah. I, and again, I think I started getting disappointed when it started being about like, oh, I'm not going to have sex with you again. And like just the typical frat boy kind of slasher movie stuff that we've seen a million times. I was really disappointed in the movie for that little portion in the middle. But then I thought, again, it rebounded for me and got better and better as it went toward the conclusion. I really enjoyed where yeah. this movie went. Now, just real quick, we've all been fans of Warwick Davis thus far. Was it jarring for any of you to have another actor in the role playing basically the same character in this one as, uh, well, obviously the same character? Did anyone have a problem with uh, Lyndon Porco as the leprechaun or your thoughts on the leprechaun, I guess? Visually, in terms of like the costuming, in terms of the way they handled the mythology, in terms of the leprechaun rules... This was my absolute favorite version of the Leprechaun that I've seen. Now, admittedly, I've only seen the first film. It's the only one I've seen all the way through. I've only seen bits and pieces of a couple other ones. But um, I, I do miss Warwick Davis just because I love Warwick Davis. And I think yes. he adds a lot as a performer to anything he does. I think he's yes. a fantastic actor. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I thought this was better <laughs> in almost every measurable way. And so I really enjoyed this version. I didn't have a problem with uh, new actors stepping in either because I thought it was a great job. They make a little comment like, ooh, when did I get so good looking or something like his, yes, yeah. his image had changed a little bit. Well, and I like right. that they did that. I like that they added that in. And the fact that he was a lot more sinister and dangerous. I, I think he mm -hmm. definitely felt more lethal than and not just because of the things that he does way more lethal yeah, than the first then, yes and and, and, yeah. and and i think you actually said this josh it may have been off mic when we we're going back and forth a bit about the movie that you made the comment that with warwick davis that there's something about him and just his his presence that it, it's it, it what it does elevate the character to being i almost wonder like if this had been the first true leprechaun movie would it go down as being as iconic for some people as it as the original was and because I, I think a lot of the originals effect that it had on people is because of warwick davis just in that role that even though he really kind of camps it up and and goes over the top with it his just expressions and just it's so big and larger yeah. than life that I, I and i don't know that this one captures it to that like to that degree but that being said this one as much as it's scary because it's not actually scary but but it's it's definitely like I said, more lethal, feels more dangerous, 
feel, feels more like a horror film. Yeah, it feels more like a horror film. And when he makes his little comments and his silly rhymes, it doesn't feel quite as goofy, campy, over the top as it yeah. did in that original. I almost go the other way than what you're saying, Joel. I almost say if you could put Warwick Davis in this film, a film this good, mm. would the original Leprechaun have been even a huger success? And would the sequels that it spawned been much better films? Because I think this is a far better film yes, than the original. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, I agree. It was for me. I mean, you're right. This felt more like a horror movie with the the way that things were put together. I thought that some of the kills were over the top, but still kind of cool. Like there's one especially that's way over the top. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but I liked it. I thought, wow, that's that was pretty cool. Again, this one approached certainly more gore than the original movie. This one, I thought, definitely earned its 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 R rating. This was actually listed here as a TV movie on the sci-fi. Sci-fi has put this out. Yes. Yeah. And congratulations to sci-fi. I think this is the best thing I've ever seen them produce. It's up there. Now, there are two things I want to mention about on the production side that will explain our reaction to this movie. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number one, Stephen Katansky is one of the directors of The Void. Okay. Which was a oh. much beloved horror film a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. He also did the horror comedy Father's Day, and he's related to the group of Canadian filmmakers who did Turbo Kid and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's slumming it for Leprechaun. You know, I mean, this is, uh, he's an indie horror filmmaker who is one of the top guys working on his budget level, I think. Mm-hmm. Also, the writer, Suzanne Kiley, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. I could be pronouncing the last name incorrectly she was a writer on ash versus evil dead for nice. two seasons oh nice. wow nice. and so you bring in a writer from ash versus evil dead with the director of the void and i think that's the level of movie we're talking about here which again i think you know all respect to your guys favorite india's exploitation director but i think this is a new height for the leprechaun franchise for sure for sure and and i also think that now that you say the ash versus evil dead I'm thinking through certain scenes, certain moments with the characters where they are in the situation and they say things and do things that are not quite meta, but they there's an awareness there at, at this, this sort of ridiculousness of the situation, but it never is played within the characters for laughs. I think that's one of the other big differences in the first Leprechaun, I think, did this relatively well, where the characters are legitimately scared. They're legitimately horrified. They're not playing it up. They're not, you know, being over the necessary intentionally <laughs> over the top and, and sort of hammy in their performances. But this movie right. especially, I, I got that real sense of the the stakes being very high for the characters. Yes, you know, for those of us watching it, some of it's can't be over the top and ridiculous, but I felt like as I'm watching it, that for these characters, they legitimately are scared and they're legitimately in jeopardy. So I liked that, but I could see that now that you say it, the Ash versus Evil Dead tone to a degree, especially with that mixing some of the excessive gore with with the goofiness of it, it, it definitely had that vibe. Yeah. I just want to say about the cast, I think, again, I think all of the women are extremely strong. Um, I like Cy Bennett. I like Taylor Spritler, but I loved Emily Reed and Pepe Sonuga. I thought yes. they were both fantastic. I would love to see them in anything. And uh, Pepe Sonuga also was in Ash versus Evil Dead. She had a yes. I think I remember the character she played. Yeah, I saw that in her uh, in her IMDb page. So yeah, that was five really cool. episode run there. Yeah, 
And then Emily Reed, she looked familiar to me, but there's nothing that's jumping out as because she's only been done a few things. She was really good. Yeah, she was delivering a very sort of I won't say understated performance, but it was very effective. She was not. It seemed that they were, everyone was at a certain level, and she was just one level below it, but yet still very effective. Oh, well, I wouldn't say the opposite. I thought she and Peppy were the two best. I thought. No, no, no. I thought her performance was strong. I'm talking about the tone of it. You know, oh, she wasn't. Yeah. She wasn't going. Um, you know, everyone else was at this heightened sort of level, yeah. and she was playing it down a little bit, but it was a very effective. Yeah, like Cy Bennett, for instance, she was playing it a little arch. I thought I still liked her, but yeah. she mm-hmm. felt like a little. I don't know, more on the nose. Yeah, it was a little like the character's almost manic. Yeah, right. Yeah. But man, Emily Reed, I 100% bought into her character. I think she could be a great horror lead. I agree 100%. And, and, and that borderline alcoholic, not even just like a party girl, but this, this there was something under that. And she gave the hint that there, there was, was a darkness. There was a there. darkness. Yeah, there was more to it than just, hey, I'm a party girl and it's I'm in college and I'm having a great time. Yeah. I'm personally, I'm looking forward to Suzanne Kiley's next thing. She's currently writing a Netflix series called Warrior Nun. So I'm going to be watching for that one. Okay. Just the title alone. That's <laughs> Yeah. So do you guys want to go ahead and jump into our ratings or recommendations for Leprechaun Returns? I'm ready. All right. So let's, let's reverse this one because I have a feeling this one will be uh, slightly higher at least. <laughs> Dave, what do you give Leprechaun Returns? I'm going to give Leprechaun Returns, I'm going to say 7.5, and I'll say a high-priority rental. I was going back and forth between that and an 8, actually. It's almost wow. a buy for me, but I'm going to say 7.5, and I'm going to say it's a high-priority rental, and it makes, I'm guessing, it, you watch this as a, as a double feature with the first one, how it's meant to be watched, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think you'll be, well, you won't be disappointed in this movie anyway. And I think my rating for the last one, like we said, knowing it was originally intended for kids, did change my opinion a little bit. But this one, there's this one's not geared towards children at all. And this is like straight up, this is the closest to a horror movie of any of the ones I've seen. So yeah, 7.5. Excellent. Josh? Yeah, I'm going to give this one a 7, and I'm also going to call it a high-priority rental. I think if you're a fan of the Leprechaun series, this is a must-watch, and I would even buy it probably if you own any of the other leprechaun movies this one is also worth owning (laughs) on that level yeah um now this was available widely at some point and then kind of disappeared it's not currently available on amazon anymore it was there for a 4.99 rental at one point it is available i believe to purchase on voodoo yes for 9.99 but to let people know if you have sci-fi this will be airing on saint patrick's day evening march 17th 2019 at 7 p.m. on the Sci-Fi Channel. So you can watch this at home for your St. Patrick's Day party. And then if you miss it, then it is also airing the next day, Monday, March 18th at 5 p.m. I haven't watched the Sci-Fi Channel itself in a very long time. So I'd just be curious to know how much of this is intact because it, it gets pretty, I mean, it's pretty uh, squishy at parts. I mean, it's a, it's a juicy movie at times yeah. because, you know, they were cable, but it was uh, it's not an HBO or a Cinemax. So I think they would always, you know, edit for TV for content. So I'd just be curious to know how much of this is intact. Who knows? I'm not sure if it's edited for television, so it may not have the full impact of the film that we saw. If somebody watches it, I would be I'd really like to know that, actually. So mm. for me, and I am shocked that I'm going to come in the lowest because I actually did like the movie, <laughs> but 
<clears throat> Although your ratings made me feel way better because I thought, oh man, I'm going to give my rating and people are going to be like, wow, that guy. Uh, I say it's a 6.5, which is for me still very good. Yeah. If I go below five, that's when you know I'm starting to to get squirrely about a movie. So, I consider it the 6.5, believe me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I almost went up to seven when you guys were saying yours. I'm like, no, I'm going to stick my 6.5 because I like it. I definitely think it's worth a rental or a viewing on sci-fi. It's worth your time. It is still, you know, uneven. I mean, the even though I am a fan of like this whole tiny terror type of horror film, it, you know, it's it's got its issues. Now, if given my druthers, I would much rather watch this one and the first one just for nostalgia reasons than any of the other ones. However, uh, it was fun because I watched part one one day and then I watched this immediately the next day. So it was mm -hmm. kind of fun. And I did not have Dave's uh, trauma of watching any of the sequels in between. So, which makes me wonder, Dave, if that's why you're coming out as an eight, because by comparison is <laughs> so much better than, than the other ones. But I, I definitely recommend it. I think it's worth it. But for me, it was a 6.5. Yeah. After the uh, brief portion of number four, I'm surprised I didn't give this a 10. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. I do have listener Sal Roma's reaction to this film as well. He says, Leprechaun Returns, is it a stupid film? Absolutely. But it's also a really fun, stupid movie. I chuckled plenty at the Leprechaun's jokes. All of the kills were pretty rad and bloody. Dug the fact that it ended up being a direct sequel to the original. Not good, but fun. Six out of ten. Very cool. Very cool. So we all like yeah. this one even better than Sal. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up our feature review of Leprechaun 2018. And we also have some other listener feedback uh, on the series as well. So let's go on over to that. So Sal, who's shared some of his thoughts throughout this franchise, just had some a little more lengthy thoughts that I thought I'd share here. It says, uh, one consistent thing is the wonderful over-the-top antics of the Leprechaun. He's a lot like Freddy in the later Nightmare sequels or Chucky once they shifted away from the Child's Play films and moved to the Chucky films. The biggest drawback of the series has always been how inconsistent the franchise is. Each movie is its own canon and it gets to be frustrating. If you're a fan of a certain leprechaun power or elements in one film, there's no guarantee that it will be there in the next. I don't know if it's available anywhere else except on the actual physical discs, there's a multiple part making of series that runs throughout the series called the Leprechaun Chronicles. Each one is about 15 to 20 minutes long, and it's a bunch of interviews with the cast and crew that worked on that particular entry. I legitimately love this multi-part doc. They're very honest about the quality of the films, but they talk about them in such a way that brings you a little more appreciation for them. If you're able to find this series of docs, I greatly recommend you just watching them rather than worrying about seeing the whole franchise. <laughs> so I think those may have been produced by Shout Factory. I did find a sample of the Leprechaun in the Hood uh, installment, and I found it quite entertaining. So based on the little bit that I saw, I would agree with Sal. But yeah, I couldn't find them anywhere online. So apparently those are only on the standalone discs. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it almost it's almost enough for me to want to get the discs. Almost. Because I do love a good behind-the-scenes documentary sometimes, and probably in this case, more than the films. So I did post kind of a negative comment on Twitter, let's say, where I said, I cannot believe that I'm voluntarily watching the Leprechaun movies. I guess I love our listeners more than my own sanity, Wolfman Josh. So I, I posted that, and... 
got some feedback from the listeners or fan Ryan in response to my comment that I was watching the leprechaun movies simply said, you're a better man than I am. (laughs) (laughs) uh, This one's from Paige Smith. She says, I am terrified of the leprechaun terrified in all caps. (laughs) Barely Ashley says, I remember watching them when I was younger, but now I cannot bring myself to bite that bullet. Nathan Toll says the first three leprechaun movies are a lot of fun. Drink what you want. Drink what you're able. If you're drinking with me, you'll be under the table. (laughs) That's great. Nathan. That's great. Willis says the first one was watchable, bad, but watchable. After that, hold on tight because you're in for a show. (laughs) (laughs) James Dean. Yes. That James Dean says, some of them are fun in a very bad movie kind of way. Leprechaun in the Hood was funny and had iced tea. <laughs> so I like that. As the, and it had iced tea. Yeah, come on. It did. It did. You are correct. Greg the Gray Man says, skip Leprechaun Origins. Awful in every way. Nothing redeeming. Just my opinion. But yeah, I'm a semi fan only because they're dreadfully bad, but yet laughably entertaining. Andrew on Twitter says, I got to be honest. I've never seen any of them after the first. I must say though, I quite liked the first one. Warwick Davis is a great antagonist and Jennifer Aniston is pretty easy on the eyes. Andrew, please. (laughs) Sal Roma smartly pointed out, just think you could have been covering one scarecrow horror movie a week for the next year. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Thank you. That really puts things in perspective. Back to watching. <laughs> to which Jody Horror Guy says, joking aside, I never for a second thought Jay was going to watch those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Juan, the Reaper of Soul, says, I don't know what you're talking about. These are a lot of fun. Kind of an underrated franchise. So Juan is going to be really disappointed by our coverage. <laughs> and that's all the news there was on twitter but i believe we got a voicemail as well we did get a voicemail so let us go to that now this is carmen the vampire slayer calling about the leprechaun movies i do watch the leprechaun movie the original every year i'm fascinated by the frizz in jennifer Aniston's hair the horrible dialogue and the awesomeness of the whole thing. I love the little music, and it's just kind of a weird, sweet story, but I watched the second one this past weekend. It was awful. I like to see Leprechaun Returns because Leprechaun in the Hood, not that great, not as entertaining. So I can't wait to hear your reviews on the Leprechaun and Leprechaun movies. It's always entertaining to listen to you guys, and... Yeah, Aaron Gobra. Happy St. Patty's Day. Thanks, gentlemen. Carmen, I think you're going to be very happy with Leprechaun Returns. Yes, I would say that's a safe bet. I cannot believe that you watch this movie once every year, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, Josh, if you want to do that, or if you at least want to watch the extras, I think I may have found that you can get the box set blu-ray okay of leprechauns one through seven 
Okay, but it looks like it comes, according to this, if you look at the fine part of the back, it says, includes five new featurettes, audio commentaries, behind-the-scenes footage, and more, all right, with all the movies. And at the moment, the multi-format version on Amazon is only $16.66. Never. <laughs> Yo, you really? Under 20 bucks? You wouldn't get the... I'd do that for under 20 bucks. Come on, man. For the, no for the extras. For the extras, I would do it. I would do it. I haven't done it yet, but I would do it. <laughs> One last thing before we wrap things up. This is again from Sal Roma, who's been so helpful on this episode with all of his opinion sharing. He's also sharing the movies. So Sal has a digital download for the first six films and the remake that he is willing to donate to horror movie podcast listeners for a little giveaway. Very nice. So what we'll do, and this is unfortunately region protected so this will only work for listeners based in the united states so i apologize for that if you are based in the united states you can enter this contest what we'll ask you to do is to visit the comment section at horrormoviepodcast.com and let us know what your favorite either saint patrick's day horror film is or your favorite horror film from ireland is and we will select one lucky winner to win the first six leprechaun movies and the remake on digital download so thank you to all the listeners for that great feedback about the leprechaun universe and we did also get quite a lot of feedback of course on jay of the dead's departure and uh, our acquisition of gilman joel from retro movie geek and so I thought, you know, we could address some of that and share some of that listener feedback now. I, I don't want to do this forever, but I feel like, you know, if we're ever going to do it, this would be the episode to do it. So uh, did you guys have any favorite reactions you saw this week? Of course, we had a lot of reactions in the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com. And Joel's been really good about responding to everyone who's commented there. And Dave and I have tried to respond as well. And then we got a lot on Twitter and other social media as well. So right. should we each kind of go through and pick out some of the comments that stood out to us most? Sure. I, I, I can go first if you want. I have yeah. um, Sean Gorman. I think this is hilarious. He goes, I'm going to miss Jay of the Dead's Renfield laugh. And it has a picture <laughs> of uh, Dwight Fry as Renfield. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, actually, uh, Tom, this is Tom on Twitter, uh, sort of reiterated a lot of what we're hearing. It was really sad, and he will no doubt be missed on the show. However, thankfully, HMP lives on, and he has It's Alive, a gif of uh, Gene Wilder screaming It's Alive from, uh, from Young Frankenstein. So, I love it. And that seems to be a, a lot of uh, what we're hearing. Yeah, there were so many nice reactions. Here's one from the gray man on Twitter. He said, it is sad news, but I feel like I'm going to support Jay's decision. I know it wasn't easy for him, and it's for great reasons. HMP has a great community and needs support, just like the horror genre. Eager for the future, 2019 is going to be another solid year for horror. I actually have one here. It's uh, from the Evolution of Horror. Yeah, that's Mike Munzer. Yeah, I thought it was. Evolution of Horror podcast. The Evolution of Horror podcast. Yeah, it's uh, uh, this one's to uh, Joel actually vocally whooping at Joel's inclusion of Black Christmas, Pet Cemetery, and People Under the Stairs in his top 10 on horror movie cast. Three of my all time faves. Damn, Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> 
there were definitely some people who were really sad. Raul here said, I knew it was coming, but it still made me sad. Just listened to the newest episode of HMP. It made a grown man cry a little at work. I hope Jay of the Dead visits from time to time, although I have nothing but faith in the podcast. Ready for the next chapter. This one is from Chris XS, a longtime listener and friend of all of us. He says, when I found out Jay of the Dead was actually leaving horror movie podcast, I felt worried and sad. But after listening to episode 169, I feel happy because I can tell Jay will be happy and because Gilman Joel is an absolute horror maniac. Love the new team. Long live HMP. Thank you all. So here's another kind of sad one, but I I feel like these are important to share because I think a lot of people were feeling this. Uh, Jessica Schmidt said, I literally almost started crying at work right now because Jay the Dead just signed off for the last time on Horror Movie Podcast. I'm going to miss you, your voice, and your point of view, man. And then uh, bawling tears emoji. So... Uh, sorry, Jessica. I know a lot of us felt that way. It was very sudden for all of us, including the three of us here on the show. So uh, we can definitely empathize with you, but we promise we're going to do our best to keep it all going. And yep. Jay, as we mentioned last time, is always welcome back. Right. And also on Twitter, Bruce Eifer. few episodes behind, uh, too, and just seen this, I guess, the announcement, gutted. Jay of the Dead has to take a break. You guys are an awesome team, and it's utterly amazing. You provide so much fantastic content for free. Best wishes, Jay. Look after yourself, bro. And major kudos to Joel for stepping up. Well, thank you for that. I'm happy to step up. As a fan of this show, when your friends come a-knocking and say, hey, man, we're in a we're in a little bit of a situation here, I was very, very happy to oblige. So the honor is mine. And actually, uh, I, I will pipe in, because uh, I, I, I will mention... By name, all the wonderful people. If you go over to horrormoviepodcast.com, you can check them out. A lot of great, great comments over there. Uh, We don't have time for me to read all of them in depth or anything else, but I did pick out just a few that I thought I could mention. But we got comments from the Mad Cytologist, Nisu Shah, Andrew in West Virginia, Sal Roma, Pastor Matt, Dino, Wicker Matt at the Modern Horror Show, George, Grave Robert, Kagan, Vicious Victor, uh, Steve, Patrick Bateman, Maurice Jones, Bill from Canada, Barely Ashley, Sam from Snowminton, and Dark Passenger. I believe that was everybody who has already commented. So, And as of this recording, don't want to forget Joel Tell Hell, Projectile Varmint, David, Gareth, Dan, Happy Death Day. Thank you to all of you who left such supportive, kind words for Jay, for the show. And for me, I really appreciate it. I know we all do here at HMP. Be sure to go over there, leave some comments, reply to them. Uh, They all said really wonderful things, but starting off with uh, barely Ashley's comments. So Ashley said, as I said on Twitter, I am excited for Joel to take over the hosting chair. Oh, Miss J. But as someone who's listened to podcasts a lot over the years, hosting changes are to be expected from time to time. I listen to Retro Movie Geeks Halloween coverage every year. Whoop, whoop. So I knew Joel was a legit horror fan. No worries here. But having Night of the Creeps in your top 10 definitely cemented my faith. I think our horror tastes align. Yes, Ashley, I think they do. Since we now have a horror comedy fan in a hosting chair, maybe we could get a little love for Return of the Living Dead. I try to throw that suggestion in anytime I can. Ha ha. You guys will do great. I look forward to hearing more episodes. Ashley, a.k.a. Barely Ashley. Um, I had responded of I 100% agreed with her and would actually love to cover part two as I have a real fondness for that film. And then I, I topped it off with a quote, get that damn screwdriver out of my head. <laughs> and 
<laughs> Ashley just responds with, yes, that's one of my favorite lines of part two. It's actually in my top 10 list. <laughs> that's so funny. Ah, Love classic. It. Classic. This is another little bit bittersweet one here. It's a little sad, but this is Andrew also from West Virginia, who you mentioned had left a comment on the boards. He said, uh, I have to admit something while listening to this episode 169, I got teary eyed during Jay's special segment. To be honest, when Jay signed off for the final time, I really got choked up. Call me a softie, but I'll miss Jay. Joel is going to do a great job. So, you know, I think what I like about these is people are just expressing their honest uh, sadness over Jay leaving, but I am seeing, by and large, a huge amount of support for you, Joel. Oh, and I and I can't begin to tell you how much that means. I'm not going to lie, and I'm sure anybody out there listening can imagine that you know you've listened to a show since the beginning. You're a fan of that show, and even though you might do podcasting on your own, it's a little intimidating. I'm not going to lie, but I can't believe the outpouring of just kindness uh, and sweet sentiment from all the people. Uh, do you mind if I read just a couple more? From the, no, uh, from the let's, okay. let's read a couple more. I've got a few. And uh, so David Fear put, I'm definitely going to miss Jay, but I don't think anybody could ask for a better person to fill his shoes in the Gilman. Well, thank you, David. That's very sweet. I'm looking forward to the dynamic he brings. At, and to be honest, a little relieved, we don't have to hear another episode about Scarecrows. <laughs> yeah, I heard that as well. I, I, I know uh, one of our patrons said, if there's going to be a second Scarecrows episode, I'm not going to be able to be a patron anymore. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Although, although on the, on the flip side of that, Jody, um, uh, who put together that database of Scarecrow movies, had posted a tweet, uh, animated GIF of a person walking hunched over their head, bowed low, saying, my reaction when I realized the time I spent putting together a Scarecrow database, yeah. uh, knowing that now it will never come to fruition. I feel like this was a powerful one for me. This is from Carmen, who we heard a voicemail from earlier in the show, Wine and Horror Lover on Twitter. And... It was useful for me, honestly. She said, you'll be Miss Jay of the Dead from HMP, but life is about change, adapt, and overcome. And that, that was like a wake-up call for me because I was kind of, you know, going through the difficulty of the transition. And uh, so thank you, Carmen. That made me be like, you know what? Yeah, this is about change. We'll overcome it. Oh, I did want to mention uh, Sal Roma on the site. He had he had left a couple different comments, but he put, even if HMP is at their absolute peak in quality, it's nice to just freshen things up and allow the podcast to be a bit unpredictable. Who knows? For all we know, Joel could be the biggest fan of Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Project 2. Or maybe Joel and Josh or Dave will learn that they just became best friends for loving the same obscure 80s horror. Well, I think that the last part is a much safer bet than the first part, which I believe I already told Sal in the comments. That is, in fact, the only movie, definitely the only horror movie I've ever walked out of the theater on. Wow. So that should answer that question quick. You know what would be fun is to do a whole episode of movies we walked out of the theater on. It'll be short. I have a very short list and that's it's pretty much two, but if we need to brought one, I mean yeah. that's an episode, right? Yeah, that's there. true. I have that... never I've never actually walked never. out of oh a theater. God. I came so close on Charlie's Angels 2. But I've <laughs> never walked out of a movie. You have turned them off though per Leprechaun 4. Well, that's true. I've turned a lot off. I've turned I've turned movies off. Yeah, and I've turned to Leprechaun 4 I turned off. So I guess Technically, I left that one early. I just never actually left my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, Dino uh, on the board said, I will miss the general tenor of Jason's voice for sure, but I have to admit that I'm excited for the prospects this change brings. Not only does Joel bring a new voice and perspective to the show, but I already know he has a great rapport with the Wolfman and Doc from the Universal Monsters cast. He says, will nice. the show be different? Sure, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. 
Appreciate that. And somebody else actually made a comment about the Universal Monsters cast. Ah, it was the Mad Cetologist. He said that he, well, first he said the people under the stairs and Night of the Creeps are legit. I love those movies and I probably also would put people under the stairs as my favorite Wes Craven movie is just plain fun. Darn straight, Mad Cetologist. Also, and then he says, also just started listening to the Universal Monsters cast. The first few episodes are sort of amusing in the context of the failure of the Dark Universe to take off, but I am super <laughs> excited to see Blumhouse take it over and also super stoked about the Invisible Man recasting. And as are we, yes. Mad Cetologist, as are we. I will say I love Michael Rodriguez. This was probably the most confusing tweet that I saw. He said, uh, just heard Jay's statements and it truly made me sad. I hope to hear you on the show again, Jay. Dr. Walking Dead, you got this. You're at the helm now. I look forward to the future episode. We had tagged Dr. Walking Dead in the tweet, so I thought uh, he, maybe it was just a joke, you know, like kind of like, come on, Dr. Walking Dead, get get back with, <laughs> with it now. I wasn't sure what it meant. And then Dave at the time, you know, I sent this in a, in a text to the two of you, like, yes. you guys know what this is about? And Dave said, uh, <laughs> if we're confused, think of how Kyle must be. <laughs> <laughs> did he respond? In fact, Kyle did respond to that tweet and he said, who's doing what now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were wondering if Kyle even was aware of what was happening. If he knew that Jay had stepped down. I don't yeah, even know. We, we haven't told him and I don't think he's a, a, a loyal listener. I think he listens occasionally, but right. Um, and then Michael responded to Kyle. I think I may be confused. Disregard. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, I couldn't completely disregard it, Michael, because it was too much fun to discuss between the three of us. Yes, that was <laughs> that was funny. But I also did want to uh, give a shout out to our buddy Kagan over in the comment section. Kagan put any lingering doubts about Joel's Horror Street cred can be put in the grave. I love how he put that. He's a worthy <laughs> successor. And if you don't believe that, go listen to Universal Monsters cast. The guy knows his stuff. Nobody can replace Jay, but Joel is a fantastic addition to the show. My loyalty to this podcast hasn't swayed. It's a slightly different flavor in the Kool-Aid, but I'm still drinking it. Looking yes. forward to another 169 episodes. I have downloaded and kept every single episode of the show, so I can always go back and get my Jay of the Dead fix. However, I'm looking forward to the future of this show. I know it's going to be awesome. Thanks for all your years of hard work, Jay. You should feel proud of the work you've done. That was really nice. Yeah, yeah so many kind comments about Joel as well. And I will say your top 10 list launched a huge uh, discussion on Twitter with people coming up with their own top 10 lists for the first time. Cool. I know back in the day when we had done our top 10 lists, we encouraged a lot of our most active listeners at that time to leave their top 10 lists at on a blog post that I created, if you go to the sidebar horrormoviepodcast.com, uh, there are all of the themed episodes and franchise reviews. And eventually you'll get down to a, a section that says lists. And the top one there is the top 10 lists of all of the hosts of horror movie podcasts. And I'll actually put a link to that directly in the show notes of this episode. If that makes it easier for people to find, we encourage our listeners to go there and leave their top 10 lists. And a lot of those people, like I said, posted those on Twitter this week. It was a really fun conversation, and most of them, I think, also went to the website and left their top 10 list there. So it's a fun place to go and look at other people's lists and comment and, and mock and scorn. So <laughs> no, just joking. Uh, but I thought it was fun. I liked that your list, Joel, sparked a lot of other people's interest in saying, you know what? That is hard. I'm going to give it a it shot. It is so hard. I think, and honestly, it's, I can't, it's probably changed 18 times just since we recorded that episode. 
<laughs> Don't ever tell. <laughs> I, 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 won't, I won't. And I, I just had a couple real quick short ones, if that's okay. Vicious Victor from the comment section put, transitions are always delicate and difficult to manage. The hosts, guest hosts, and ever-growing community of HMP listeners have been incredible in helping me adapt to some major changes in life over the past few years. And I'm happy to support you guys in any way I can in return. That was very nice. Thank you. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, man. I think it's one of the cool things about podcasting or doing anything where you're putting yourself out there and you're trying to just provide entertainment or information to people. And you realize that, you know, everybody's got their own life going on. Everybody's got their own story going on. And you never know what people are going through and how I remember a long time ago, somebody had told us, I think it was back in the Forgotten Flicks days where, you know, they just said, I was having this awful day at work and certainly of the show. And it you know put a smile on my face. I laughed, and it was just like that idea that you know it's it's something simple and kind of cheesy, but it's wonderful to think that you have you know some sort of uh, positive impact on somebody's life, even just for a moment. Absolutely, you know we've heard a lot of listeners have been gracious enough to share with us that the show has helped them through dark times and difficult times, and I know that um, the J was a big part of that for people. I just hope people will. Um, still use us as a sounding board and as, as comfort food if they need it. We're here for you still as well. And I know that Jay was important to a lot of people, um, but I just want you, people to know that uh, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be here for you. And I've, I've used podcasts for that myself. I travel a lot for my work. And since I've had kids, especially, I get really homesick. Like I don't like being on the road. And one of the easy fixes for me is to throw on a podcast that's familiar and I feel it instantly cures my homesickness. I feel like I'm surrounded by people I know in a safe place with friends. And so we definitely get how that feels. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope we can continue to be that for people. Yeah, that's awesome. And and speaking of uh, people who I know are familiar, uh, Pastor Matt had put in the comments that he, referring to him and his son Jackson and how they've been listening to HMP for several years now, uh, he says, I will continue to look forward to every episode, even though my son and I have started our own podcast. As we said in our first episode, you guys are the gold standard, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. He then went on to say, I thought Joel's top 10 was interesting. While I wouldn't put The Stepfather in my top 10, I might put Terry O'Quinn's performance in a list of one of my favorite horror performances. And then he put in parentheses, which would make a good podcast. I recently watched, rewatched The Stepfather during my run through horror movies of 1987. I believe it was on Amazon Prime or Shudder. So everyone should check it out. And Pastor Matt, I agree with that 1000%. Nice. I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Pastor Matt. I have been meaning to do it on the show, but things have been a little crazy around here, as you guys know. And his son, Jackson, who we know is Kane Hero, is his uh, his username on on the boards and on Twitter. Uh, they have a new podcast out called Father and Son Watch Horror Movies, which is oh, a, cool. a really fun idea. I love that this exists, and it's a great show. So if you want to support the people who support us, check out Pastor Matt's podcast. You can find it at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com, and you can find them on Twitter at fathersonhorror. And just so you know, Pastor Matt, I just subscribed to your podcast, and that is a cool, awesome. cool logo. I like that. But uh, no, definitely thank you to everybody for, for your comments. And we're also very thankful to have Gilman Joel here. And uh, I think that it's going to be an exciting year. It's a great time for horror. And uh, I think it's just it, 2019 is shaping up to be as great a year with HMP as any of the previous ones, I think. 
And I just want to be really clear, like, this was hard for Dave and I as well. Like, we were not prepared for this. This came out of nowhere. This is us trying to save a show that we all love. And we owe so much to Joel that he was willing to step in and take the reins here. Joel, I mean, being a host is different than being on a podcast. It's a different set of skills. It's a set of skills that, that Jay was really good at, and I believe Joel was really good at, which is also why we initially contacted Joel about doing Universal Monsters cast with us as well. We, you know, Joel is an excellent podcast host. He's been podcasting longer than any of us, including myself, including Dave, including Jason. And someday we can talk, do a little origin story discussion. That would be fun as well. I know Jay, I think, wrote like a blog about his origin story for HMP, but it was not exactly the same as mine and Dave's. We, you know, we have our own perspectives and and joel's been podcasting for a long time too so we brought a pro in we brought in someone who was at the top of their game to take the reins here and um, we really really appreciate joel sticking with us through a very difficult transition well i thank you guys i thank the listeners and i'm honored to be here i am a fan of the show you know so i'll be the guy who's just you know a huge fan of these movies and uh, hopefully share my love and passion uh, with all of you. All right. Now let's never speak of this again. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's been fun, though? A lot of people had never gone back and listened to the old episodes. And so I think people who are newer listeners are just discovering for the first time a lot of the older episodes that they didn't even know existed. Wow. You know, there again, I've said this a lot, but if you go to the website, horrormoviepodcast.com, you can see all of our themed episodes along the side. It's a lot of fun to look at. Haunted Houses. Feral Vampires, Witchy Women, Alien Abductions. We've got It 1990 versus It 2017. We've got Poltergeist versus Poltergeist, Fright Night versus Fright Night. A lot of really fun episodes that we've come up with over the years. Not only is there a archive of every single episode, all 170 episodes of the show, but you can really dig into the stuff that interests you the most if you check out that sidebar. One last thing before we close out this episode, Luke Perry passed this week, which I was extremely sad about, especially as he was just kind of making his comeback on Riverdale. I thought he was doing a fantastic job on that show. I think a lot of people from my generation and younger and older uh, really remember the heyday of 90210 when Dylan McKay, his character was like the coolest guy on television every woman wanted him every guy wanted to be him he was kind of one of those types of characters you know and uh i honestly i was just remembering this the other day i actually dressed up as dylan mckay in eighth grade for halloween and me and my entire group of friends it was done ironically i will say that you were an ironic eighth grader i was an ironic eighth grader (laughs) and me and my entire group of friends dressed up like the cast of 90210 and went trick-or-treating and i was wearing a wetsuit and carrying a surfboard around and I had the same haircut and uh, sideburns as Dylan McKay. So that's awesome. Yeah. Tell me there's a, is there a picture that exists? Uh, Probably. I think actually it's in the yearbook. I'd have to go back and look, but, but mainly my love for Luke Perry is based on his inclusion in the original Buffy, the vampire slayer movie from 1992. I'm a huge fan of that movie. That was a sleepover for movie for me and my friends. We would watch that on repeat with Monster Squad and the Lost Boys, and it was just just a thrill for me. I loved that movie. I never got into the television series. I'm sorry, Station. I'm, I'm sorry, Joel. 
but I, and I just could never buy into Sarah Michelle Geller after Christy Swanson's excellent portrayal. And I missed Pike. I missed uh, Luke Perry as Pike. So, you know, it was a sad week, I guess, for Buffy fans and Riverdale fans and 90210 fans. But we wanted to honor him. And I went out and bought the Buffy Blu-ray, the 25-year anniversary Blu-ray. And so now I have a used DVD and a brand new digital download to give away to our listeners. And so we did a little contest giveaway on Twitter, and I wanted to pick the winner right now for the DVD and digital download. I asked people to comment with their favorite vampire movie and then the version that they wanted of the film. So let's just get all of the entries here. Okay, we will do a random selection of the first two people and give them their selection of format. If we draw the same format twice in a row, we will keep drawing until we find a winner from each format. And the winner is Dan Burley at Hillard House Dan. Dan says, this is unironically my favorite vampire movie. Hell, it's one of my favorite movies ever. I've loved it all my life. Also digital. So, okay, Dan, we will give you that digital copy. All right, we'll spin the wheel again. And Tim Matthews. This is uh, at Tim Meets World 11 on Twitter. Tim says, such a sad day. As far as vampire films go, a difficult decision, but may have to go with Dracula dead and loving it. The hilarious <laughs> brilliance of Mel Brooks, along with a clear and great love of the classics. Wow. Digital code. So actually he wanted the digital code as well. So that one will not go to Tim. Sorry, Tim. Got to find a DVD here. Come on, people. Physical media still has a place in the world. <laughs> Yeah, come on. Now. Use DVDs is where it's at. <laughs> come on. Damn it. Oh, you know, 20 years from now, there's going to be a bunch of documentaries on Amazon about how people miss DVDs and how they have to scour garage like they do for VHS now, right? They scour garage <laughs> sales to find them. Okay. Spin the wheel one more time. And well, I think this is fitting. Sal Roma. Since Sal not only donated the digital downloads of Leprechaun for us to give away on this episode, and all, he also helped us out quite a bit with his reviews for this episode. So I'm happy to give this DVD to Sal says, as far as plain replay value goes, the lost boys is the best of vampire movie. Although what the right one in is maybe a little better. The lost boys is easier to watch. I'd prefer DVD. Okay. Sal, you got it, buddy. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks to everyone who entered and uh, much love to Luke Perry. Rest in power. My friend, I will forever remember Pike from my very favorite scene from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is this. I, I, this is some of my favorite um, tropes of the vampire genre is not being able to enter the house unless you've been invited in. Yeah. And the Buffy movie has my favorite version of that, except for possibly the Fright Night remake version of that. But I, I really love this shot of uh, Luke Perry standing at his window and David Arquette, his recently bitten vampire friend, floating outside the window. And He's said, let me in, Pike, you know, and he's, he, he's trying to get him to let him in the house. And Luke Perry says, you're floating, man. <laughs> I just I always thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Very nice. And a nice allusion to Salem's lot, I would think. Yes. All, and yeah, and Lost Boys. And there are several, obviously, that, that do that. But yeah, it's a really fun one. So he had suffered a stroke, we should say, and then surprisingly died from that stroke four days later so people had known that he had 
been in the hospital, but I don't think anyone was expecting that he was he was going to die from it. Uh, this I'll just end with this comment from Joss Whedon on Twitter. Of course, Joss Whedon, the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He said, the first time I met Luke Perry, we talked about what kind of movie we wanted Buffy to be. I asked him if he'd ever seen Near Dark, and he gave me a look of, how dare you, sir? And I knew we'd get along. Funny, committed, and always gracious. He shouldn't be gone. Yeah. Yeah. So ending on that note. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys ready to, to put the leprechaun to bed? Yes, let's sir. Let's do it. All right. Let's, let's tuck this in. <laughs> let's shove a four-leaf clover down his mouth, set yeah. him on fire, and send him down the well, and make let's sure that every bit of his body is destroyed. Absolutely. Exactly. Put a medallion around his neck, a four-leaf clover in his mouth, and let's put him in a bed of iron. <laughs> Exactly. All right. So before we sail off into this good night, Wolfman Josh, you want to tell the the good people where they can find you online? They can find me in the club. They can also find me at Icarus Arts on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. And we will be coming back soon. It's happening. Universal Monsters cast. Excellent. And Dave? DVDinfatuation.com. I did just post review 2,501 not too long ago, so I'm starting to post uh, slowly but surely again. Um, new reviews. It was the first one in 10 months, actually. On Twitter, at DVD Infatuation. Uh, also, Facebook and Instagram, and other podcasts. The Universal Monsters cast, as Josh just mentioned. The uh, We Deal in Lead Westerns podcast. Hopefully, we'll be starting up again soon. And The Land of the Creeps with... Greg Amortis, Haddonfield Hatchet, Jesse Robbins, Justin Beam, and a slew of guests. Excellent. And I can also be found at Universal Monsters Cast and, of course, Retro Movie Geek, RetroMovieGeek.com, where you can go over there to listen to Daryl, Peter, and myself, and our occasional guests make complete and utter fools of ourselves. All right. So that wraps up this episode of Horror Movie Podcast. We love your comments and hope you'll get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can also find all 170 of our past episodes. And you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash horror movie cast and you can become a patron of movie podcast network for two dollars and fifty cents a month which gives you access to our monthly special features episodes at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network we want to thank singer songwriter fred ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song you can find more of fred's music at frederickingram.com we also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can we find. We should also probably thank Warwick Davis for the use of uh, Leprechaun rap here in a couple seconds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely give him tribute. And we should also probably thank Dropkick Murphys for their music that I'm going to be using liberally in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again Monday after next for our coverage of Horror Noir and Jordan Peele's Us. And we thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. 
from the land of the Irish Spring. Dublin's the place where I learned my thing. From the Emerald Isle to your place in the hood. I'm the man of green, come to do no good. Left in the hood, come to do no good. Left in the hood, come to do no good. I'm a wee green guy who's new to town. Show me what you do when you get down. I'll go up, you go down. We'll call see your love three. Left in the hood, come to do no good. Left in the hood, when we're bad, we're good. Of more to your front door. Better turn off the lights and pray some more. We're gonna party through the night until the door. Then you and I are gonna get it all. Nap in the hood, come to do no good. Nap in the hood, come to do no good. So he doesn't have his full power, I think, to make the the wedding final or so. I don't know what the hell it was, to be honest with you. It's, sort of started drifting in and out because I was texting you guys and I was paying a little more attention to the text at this point than. And some of the movie, but he couldn't fully have, he didn't have his full powers to go through with the wedding or, or make it final until he got his last gold piece back. And, you know, I feel like you also have a huge misstep. If you're going to go back and shoot gore, you need to tear Ozzy's stomach out and get the gold out of that stomach. That's like a, I thought that that was like one of those set up payoff things. The minute he swallowed that coin, I was like, okay, I know how Ozzy dies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like I thought that, the same thing. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be how he goes out. And also that would have added some emotion to the film. If he sacrificed himself in that way, he kind of does without any spoilers. He kind of, you know, does sacrifice himself to some degree, but I would have liked to see it go all the way. And that would have felt more like a horror movie. To me. Yeah. Well, like you, Dave, I am also a fan of Brian Trenchard Smith, and I didn't even realize he had directed a movie as a kid I loved. I don't know if you guys ever saw this, because to this day, I can't find it anywhere. It starred Henry Thomas, and this would have been the year after he did Cloak and Dagger, because I think Cloak and Dagger came out in 84, right? Because hmm. E.T. is 82, right. Cloak and Dagger, I think, was 84, which I love Cloak and Dagger. And this is 85. Uh, it's called The Quest. That was the at least the American title. Apparently, the original title was Frog Dreaming. I never knew it as that. I knew it as The Quest. And I remember, I remember when... The Quest. Oh, you do? Yeah. It was, I remember loving it. I remember only a few key things about it. But, you know, I would have been about nine or ten when I saw it. And, uh, you know, so he's, he's always been just, you know, a couple years older than me. And so I, I just remember really liking it, liking the movie. Um, I was a huge Cloak and Dagger fan, obviously a huge yep. E.T. fan. So I just remember mm. even as a kid being so excited when I saw this on the video shelf. And That's awesome. 100% remember this movie from my childhood. Yeah. 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 And I actively look for this every once in a while. It'll just pop up on my radar. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'll search and search and I can't find it. I... I know that's interesting. That, yeah. That's really something I, I, I've not seen that. But now I think I really want to because I mean, he did. He's done some movies that he himself has done, like Stunt Rock. That's another not good movie, but it's entertaining. He did The, the Man from Hong Kong, which I'm slowly falling in love with. And, and that was a big they cover that a lot in that. Not quite Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The doc. They did a whole sequence on The, the Man from Hong Kong. He did BMX Bandits, which yes. uh, the screen debut of Nicole, Nicole Kidman, Kidman, you know? I, yeah. Absolutely. He's done a lot of, of really cool stuff and, and and a very underrated Vietnam War movie called The Siege of Firebase Gloria, hmm. which actually looks at it from both sides and made in 1989. And it is it is co-written by Arlie Ermey. Wow. Um, he actually brought him in and let him do some of the writing to help out with the dialogue, to punch it up, to make sure it was more realistic. So he's done... Brian Trencher Smith is one of those guys. He does it. He's across genres. He's like like everyone, like a Howard Hawks, across a whole bunch of genres. 
and sometimes defying genre. But he's, he's like he's, Howard Hawks. Yeah, yeah. Totally yeah. like Howard Hawks. Yeah. He's 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 the he's the exploitation version of Howard there Hawks. There you go. Let's put it that way. Hey, you know his movies are always entertaining. Uh, and also the vagrant. Do you remember that one starring Bill Paxton? No. Yes. It, oh. Look look it up. It's a Bill Paxton is this yuppie who moves into this like tract house. It decides to fix it fix it up. Little does he know that there is a creepy vagrant guy that is living. Nearby that wants to essentially drive him nuts and and take over the house and it's this whole thing. Wow. And this sounds very '90s thriller. Like that was a very common kind of <laughs> plot for a '90s thriller. It dips into horror a okay. decent amount. I mean, you know, but it's it's definitely yeah. It's it's, it's got some comedic elements to it. Like it, it's very uneven tonally. I think that's it's big kind of like Leprechaun. Like it's just right. it's a little all over the place. It's flawed, heavily flawed. But there is something about it I like. It was also. Uh, one of the o- one of the only two movies I believe that Chris Wallace, the creator of the Gremlins, right? The Chris Wallace, the uh, the, the effects guy, um, he directed The Vagrant, yeah. and he also did The Fly Two. Bill Paxton's one of my all time favorite actors. Oh yeah, so. you, he's good. He's good, and it, it's it's also as Colleen Camp, and I'm completely okay. brain farting on the name of the actor who plays The Vagrant. You'll recognize him the second you see him. Sort of the similar um, sentiment from Colin Campbell on Twitter. Man, that was a sad announcement. Jay, thank you for all the hard work, entertainment, and laughter you have brought to us all. You welcomed us with open arms into this family. HMP lives, and I couldn't think of a better host to carry it on than the Gill Man. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Although, to be fair, me and Dave mostly welcomed people in. <laughs> <laughs> Side note. <laughs> didn't see Jay on those boards. Let's just say that. Okay. Well, and um, you didn't see, you didn't, well, on, on Twitter, but you didn't see me a lot on the boards either. I got to be honest. I think it was you, Josh. You, Josh. And, and on one final note, I do want to say uh, to Maurice, uh, who put in the comments, his PS, Pet Cemetery 2 and Night of the Living Dead 1990 are both criminally underrated. I also agree with you a thousand percent. And will, if as much as I love the original Night of the Living Dead, I really love that remake a lot. I mean, a whole lot. So I would, I know you want, that's, that's, we've, we've talked about, or at least high level, you've talked about Josh, an idea of like a remake type episode. I, mean, I think from like episode one, we've talked about doing uh, remakes, reimaginings and reboots and talking about the differences between those and some good examples of them. I thought, always thought that would be a fun show to do. Yes. You can do it. Yeah. That would be great. I know what I'm picking. <laughs> no picking the thing. Uh, no, no, not even <laughs> living dead. That was, that was where I was going. Oh, there you go. There you go. Are you guys fans at all of Luke Perry? Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I was not, a, even though Beverly Hills and I too came out around the time I was in high school, so it was always there in, in the culture, in the zeitgeist, I was not a particular fan of it. Right, yeah. And, and I would say I did, I loved him in Buffy and in Fifth Element, but yeah, I'm trying to think there was not a lot of other Luke Perry stuff that i could immediately point to that i liked i feel like those two things by themselves and honestly you know everybody knew dylan walsh was i mean it was an iconic character he'll forever brandon walsh oh, dylan mckay Come oh, on, oh oh wow i love <laughs> that i did that i love that everybody remembered dylan walsh <laughs> uh, i was also not necessarily a fan but somehow i still know both of those names right. well uh i i know shannon doherty was on the show that's what, yeah. you, that's what you're going to get from Doherty and then Tiffany Amber Thiesen. Yes. And, yeah, As you say, of, the name's uh, Tori Spelling, right? She was on there. Yep. yep. Tori Spelling was on there. Uh, Brian Austin Green, I think, was on the show. Oh, yeah. And Ian Ziering of Sharknado fame. That's right. That's right. My, my all-time favorite 
902 moments are actually Brian Austin Green and Ian Ziering, the the cameo or the the small roles they played in Tony Scott's Domino, <laughs> I, because they played themselves uh, in, in that, That's and it right. is awesome. I love that. But anyway, there was a two year span there uh, when we lived in an apartment in Norristown that I watched 90210 every. Wednesday night, or I should say it was on the TV every Wednesday night because my wife worked Wednesday nights. She wanted it recorded every Wednesday night, and I didn't have the ability to watch anything else because of the setup. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, sure, sure, bl- say, sure. Blame your I, wife for that one day. I can't sure. say that I watched the show religiously because I would usually turn off the TV and go in another room or, or something, but... I did. It was on my TV for a two-year span there every single time. And then, of course, when my wife would watch it, I didn't have to be in the room for that. But so I did become somewhat familiar with the characters and the actors. And, and Luke Perry, it's 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 just such a shame. 50, 52, yeah. I think. And, and uh, to, to go that suddenly, um, it's, it's terrible. Okay, so we're in a doll factory, right? It kind of reminds you of that movie, The Leprechaun. You remember with that little oh, guy yeah. who goes, I'm the Leprechaun. <laughs> Garth, I'm the Leprechaun. Cool it, okay. I'm the Leprechaun. Stop it, all right. Don't try and steal me, Patagon. Stop it, Leprechaun, man. Garth, chill, chill, the chill. Who the dog monsters did you, sweetie? I'm not. Sweetie. Stop it. Yeah, Come on. Pixie uh, dust. Pixie dust. Uh, sweetie, it's me. Uh, it's me. Yeah. The Leprechaun. Yeah. Okay, uh, Iron Man, because I'm the lamp. Got to go. Go. 